Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 91 of Cutscene Convos. We have got an absolute monster episode this week. We have a character profile on the one and only Cindy Moon. We have got a finale, a mm. good MCU mm. finale in the Loki finale to break down. We've got episode two of the second season of Invincible. We've got the Marvels, new outing for Kamala Khan on the big screen. Lots yep. to talk about, as well as a very, very, very big Nerd News Network. Now the strikes are over, everything's <laughs> happening, it's busy, busy, busy. It is. And then, of course, we'll be wrapping it all up with Moon Knight versus the Phantom Menace in this week's content championship. But before all that good stuff, Horizontal, how's your week been? Well, it's, on a, it's been another weird week, like last week. Just, yeah, dealing with family stuff with my grandma dealing with uh client projects getting like the quotes and invoices sent out and different things and lining up projects and scheduling so it's just like everything seems to be happening at once uh everything that was on a schedule is off schedule like there's no like everything's just thrown up in the air it's just been a very you off week. schedule never <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> And then in between all that, just been trying to play CS, and I've been stuck in CS hell for stuck on my promotion for like a oh week. no, it's been horrible. I finally beat, got past it. it last night, but yeah, it's just been what a weird week of <laughs> my sanity. Um, but that's long gone in Valorant. But yeah, weird week just between family and work, and just kind of been all over the place really. Um, How's your week been? <laughs> Busy. Um, a lot more, a lot more uh, project-related work this week, which um has not gone super swimmingly. Um, and as with all projects, there are deadlines, and this mm -hmm. deadline cannot be delayed because I'm on holiday next week. Oh, so, another holiday. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I just I was I was because because I've only like traditional jobs i was gonna say real jobs <laughs> traditional <laughs> jobs um i, I have real. to use all my annual leave or i lose it oh, and i've gone through and i've like booked leave? all that i need for the year then i booked what i need for christmas i'm like i have four days <laughs> well might as well take them yeah exactly um so yeah I, i'm looking forward to that it's after this week it's a um much needed rest um, it act, act, it couldn't have accidentally come at a better time. Um, other than that, it's just been a lot of a lot of research this week because things have happened in areas that I am not as knowledgeable in, and I didn't like it. So we've um, oh. we fixed some things, and now I have some opinions. So oh. we shall see. This is dangerous. Um, but in the week. The in the Spider-Man world has been dominated by the women of the Spider-Man universe. We have a Sydney yes. Moon character profile. The irony that this character profile could not have come at a better time, despite the fact that I decided it was going to be this week four weeks ago, mm. is hilarious. Um, yeah, you, and you've... all will become all will become apparent. Who's your intel? <laughs> Cindy Moon, aka Silk. First appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 732, if you use the uh, legacy numbering, or Amazing Spider-Man volume 3 number 1, if you use the 
titles it comes out with okay. um, in 2014. Um, Cindy attended a public exhibition demonstrating the safe handling of nuclear laboratory waste material when an irradiated spider that had just bitten Peter Parker fell from his hand and bit her ankle before dying. Oh. Her powers manifested shortly after at home where her organic webbing accidentally webbed up her parents. Shortly after, a man named Ezekiel Sims came and took Cindy away to train her and teach her about her powers. However, it soon became apparent to Sims that the totemic predator Morlun was hunting her. Morlun is a dimension-travelling spider totem devouring vampire. In short. Okay. There is a lot more to go in with Morlun, which we may do in the not-too-distant future, but that is base level how you can think of Morlun. Okay. Um, Approximately 13 years after Peter was bitten and was acting as Spider-Man, Mm-hmm. Peter would, through an incident where the Watcher's memories were leaked into the universe, would find out about Cindy's existence and find out that she was essentially trapped at the bottom of a tower. Um, this tower was at the bottom of Ezekiel Sims' palace, essentially, yeah. and it um, protected her from Morlun being able to detect her. Right. So she was there of her own accord. She knew the code. She could leave at any time, mm. but she knew that by leaving, she was putting herself in great danger. Mm-hmm. Peter would then race to find and free her, despite her begging him not to, due to the looming threat of Morlun. However, once Peter explained that Morlun had died, she accepted her freedom and became the costume, costumed crime fighter Silk. However, Morlun wasn't truly dead. And upon sensing Silk's freedom from across the multiverse, he started what he referred to as the Great Hunt, in which he and his family, the Inheritors, would hunt and kill every spider totem in the entire multiverse. This required, amongst other things, a time-displaced Otto Octavius, who was the superior Spider-Man at the time he was displaced from, help create a multiversal team of Spider-Men and women, or Spider-Totems, um, to try and fight back against the Inheritors and save their lives. Um, towards the end of this battle, Otto, in an attempt to save himself from his inevitable fate, would try to kill the Master Weaver, mm-hmm. um, who weaves together the Web of Destiny. Spider-Man lore is crazy to casuals. Mm-hmm. Um and it would become apparent that, in fact, one of the inheritors who had turned against the army of inheritors was all along the Master Weaver through time paradoxical bullshit. Oh. Upon their success in defeating the inheritors and saving the spider totems of the multiverse, Silk returned to Earth 616 alongside Peter and other 616 spider totems to crime fighting while also once again trying to find her parents who she had not seen since her powers had manifested. Okay. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, So there is a clip from when I was playing Spider-Man 2 
mm-hmm. that will be going up in the next couple of days on my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. in which essentially at the end of Spider-Man you get, as I'm sure you you'd be able to guess, because it's quite a cinematic cinematic game. There's a lot of cutscenes after the main story mm-hmm. to show what everyone's doing, yep. and basically throughout the game you, it had been alluded to that Miles's mum Rio was dating again. Okay. And as someone who's normally pretty locked on, I didn't actually think anything of it. And then it cuts back to their apartment and there's a knock at the door. And I was like, oh shit, are we about to find out who Rio's boyfriend is? Mm-hmm. And she opens the door and it's Hayley, uh, Miles' love interest. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's just Hayley. And that was like the first time I'd even considered who might this boyfriend be. Um, and she'd referred to him as Mr. Moon earlier and it, nothing could twig. Um, and then Hayley comes in, Miles and Hayley have their first kiss. It's very cute. And then the door knocks again. And then I'm like, oh, it, now this is probably the boyfriend. Okay, this is definitely a reveal. And she opens the door and she goes, guys, this is Albert. And I'm there and I'm like, Albert Moon, Albert Moon. He's like, oh, this is my daughter. And as he says daughter, you just see my eyes go, oh, shit. He goes, this is my daughter, Cindy. Uh. It is one of the most hype moments for a relatively unknown character I've mm. ever experienced while playing a video game. Um, and it was a lot, a lot, lot of fun. Um, and I'm very excited to see how they try and incorporate Cindy Moon slash Silk into yeah. the next Future, yeah. iteration of a Spider-Man game. Very cool. But we have more pressing Marvel topics. Yes, we do. The Loki finale. Before we get into it, I would like to take just one second to say they finally done it. They they gave us a fulfilling ending to a series. Yeah. And not in any way that either of us really predicted. No, it was it was genuinely so so well done. I I thought I'd nailed it. Because if you remember, my prediction was it's just going to end with the looms broken. Yeah. And the, the whole TV gets reset. And with the way the final was going, and it was leading up to this realization of like, there is no fixing this situation. It's inevitable. I was like, okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end how I expected. And I'm okay with that because the pacing's been fine. And then they just go and like give us the greatest ending and character ending even though it's not full end, but like character wrap up yeah of develop like character development it, that we've ever loki had. loki might be the first post end game project mm. that has really improved my love of a character yes like spider-man no way home i obviously adored but it didn't do that much more for spider-man Doctor Strange 2 didn't do that much more for Doctor Strange. Yeah. This is the first project where afterwards I'm like, I already love this character. I now love this character even more. I would count that with Hawkeye. I think added a lot to Clint. That is fair. 100%. I think the reason I probably didn't think of that was because Hawkeye was always it's, a bit of a take it or leave a character yeah. for me. But now that you say that, you are absolutely right. That show did a lot to round out. Clint I think that character. is the only other character I can think of, though. I think you're right. Like, yeah. of the staple heroes, 100%. like, this is the first one since Endgame where it feels they've developed a character 
even like to a higher point than they were. Yeah, the the tone shift was really interesting as well. Mm. Going from this idea of him like spending centuries and centuries learning everything so that he could work out the perfect situation to make the loom solution work. work. And like you get like this Groundhog Day kind of training montage. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's there were so many like steps of levels to as it progressed. And like you say, it started off with his back where the pr- last episode ended with him as Victor's just got down. She's like, okay, he watched it all again, and he goes and asks will be, what could we have done? And she's like, we ran out of time. She's like, we just gotta be quicker. And he tries being quicker a few times, but it still doesn't work. So he's like, okay, need more time. So then he tries more time. That still doesn't work. So then he's like, spends every like sentence is him perfecting like what's said between everyone, cutting as much time down. Then he's like, okay, I'll just learn quantum physics, essentially. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, you need decades, centuries even. And then that idea that he then we do, all we get is a title card of centuries later. The idea that he and like I know probably to a god like Loki, centuries isn't actually that long of a time. But the still. time perception for Loki, it wouldn't be as painful as it would be for us. Yes, but we've also got to remember, based on the way the time flipping was shown to us, it mm. looks like he was only going back maybe like two hours. Well, yeah, he just kept going back into that loop. Yeah, so, so he's it's like he—it's centuries, but it's the same two hours. Yeah, which is wild for anyone yeah. to like just be living in. And I actually think—does that make him the smartest person at the moment in the MCU? Probably is... not. Okay. Because I'd say I'd say only because it's such a niche. True. Like he, it's not like he spent that time just learning everything. Yeah, about true. Everything. He was like, just teach me what I need to know to make this thing work. Yeah, he learned everything about time and the loom and yeah. that stuff. And I guess yeah, the I question is also, do we know if he actually learned it, learned it, or just memorized? Or if he, or if he just became a vessel to save Ob like thinking time. Hmm. So he would learn Possibly. what Ob did at, th- well, at that point, and no, then I think he, he did. would learn it. He would do it, and then Ob would like just go, "Oh, so from here we need to do this," and then he'd learn that bit. If that makes sense. No, I think I think he might have done because he like essentially built it, and Ob's like, "Well, we don't know. We haven't tested." Like he essentially just built the thing for Ob. Yeah, I, I guess my point is, did he just do it so many times that he was essentially just taking Ob's thoughts? Yeah, possible. Yeah, like and that, uh, instead yeah, 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 I of, get like, you you writing the lord of the rings you just read the book and just wrote the next word each time yeah i get you like you you don't necessarily have to take in any of the understanding yeah you just have to remember the physical process of it um it's just it's interesting it was it was very well done though there was so Um, many like little funny nods as well to things like when he pulls the model out and he's like oh it's great don't worry about it Yes, no, this isn't you or me, Morbius. This is Victor <laughs> Timely. <laughs> he's like, before any of those questions or like things that we already know happened, 
start, he's like shutting them down left and right. <laughs> the best bit is Victor going, why is it me? He's like, because you volunteer. You always volunteer. You're quite insistent, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he just so keeps I, doing I really, that. I really enjoyed the tone shift, though, when it should have worked. Mm. And there was enough time in the episode left where I'm like, this might have worked. And then we've got another 20 minutes to wrap up the rest of this story and set up what's next. Mm. And then Victor just breaks down and he's like, it's a scaling problem. Well, yeah. The they... moon just keeps getting bigger. How do we keep that's... up with infinity? So, yeah, that's the thing. I thought what was great is that, like, when he gets that final attempt where they essentially succeed at their task. And it's like, the way that, by this point, Loki knows, like, there's a Tannoy he can speak over. And it's the way he's like, that's it. Keep on going. One more step. Just keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> you can do this. And then he goes, he's like, don't put it don't, down. <laughs> don't put it down. It rolls away. That's great. And then he's I like, would love... I would love to see the version where he found out it rolls off the gangway because he's clearly got so far and yeah. it's rolled off. He's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, the button sticks <laughs> when he turns around to look at him. <laughs> give it some willy. And then obviously it does it and he's like, holy shit, I've finally done it after centuries. And then it just fails. And there's like that real, like, then that's when you say Victor Tanner goes, it's it's never going to work. You can't scale for infinity. It's like dividing by zero. It just doesn't. It's just impossible. It's and and do you know what as well because it's so beautifully simple. Yeah. Bear in mind this is supposed to be a complicated thing that no mere human like us would really understand. Mm. Just being able to go, you can't scale to infinity, makes sense instantly to everyone. Everyone's like, oh well, shit, yeah. There's just always going to be more of it. How do you keep up well, yeah. with there always being more? Yeah. Like as soon as they say that, you go, of course. Like every time it branches, one small difference, like on at any point on any of those branches, makes another, and like every branch duplicates, and it's just it's never going to stop if you're not pruning. And and it's not just that it's infinite as well; it's infinitely exponential. Yes. Because the more branches there are, there are more branches to yeah. have, more deviations to have. So it's not it's not even just like a straight line of it keeps on being no. more. It gets faster. Um. And then I like that that's when he, we get him jumping back to, oh, The battle sorry. from season one. Well, no, then he goes, to, doesn't he go to um, when he gathered everyone? No. Or is that's that after? Once he's got, that's once he's got full control. And oh yeah it is it is explains it is. to him what he needs so to yeah do. we go back to the end of season one which yeah so cool to be back at that yeah. again so loki basically works out that because of the nature of the loom he needs he who remains because he's the only one who understands it understands it enough mm. to work out how to make it work so but, he has to go back and convince sylvie not to kill him so he can get the information he needs from him Yes, and also he sort of realizes that this is happening because we've changed how the TVA works. If I stop Sylvie, nothing changes. The TVA is as it was. We just go on with how it used to be. Because exactly. he just wants his friends back at this point. Like He just wants things to go back to normal. 
And then, yeah, we get him trying so many different approaches to stop Sylvie. Um, and then that la- that constant line of, see you again. <laughs> and you just, n- not always seeing it, but just hearing it. To the reveal was a twist I didn't see coming. It had, within such a sh- short space of time, two of the greatest reveals I can mm. think of. To go from the very funny line from Loki, because like he's clearly, we now know, playing it off like a bit of banter. But it seems to us at the time like he's like just trying to workshop how he's going to make this work. So he says, you never try and stop her. Why do you never try and stop her? Yeah. Kind of like me or you do. Like when we're playing a video game, you're up against a really difficult boss. You're like, right, let me try this. Okay, this doesn't work. Forget yeah. that. And he's like going through this. And then Kang just picks up his little doohickey and freezes time. And he's and like, then it's like so how many times have you done this now? <laughs> so, so good. And then it's like. And, but the way that they did this was so fucking smart because obviously they, at this point, like this is to us the first time this has happened. Yeah. And he frees, and then Loki, like the way Loki like presents himself is like, what the fuck, you've frozen time? Like you've just made Sylvie disappear. And then he's having this conversation and he's just like, so yeah, how many times have we done it? You've not got the hang of like the freezing time thing yet? Oh, maybe you need a few more goes yet. Um, and then he explains like this was always the plan. Like this was he he set this situation up. Like he foresaw this all happening because he knew Sylvie would kill him. He knew the loom would fail. He knew Loki would try and fix things because he wants. And he knew that he'd go through Victor t- 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 timely. Well, and yeah. Also- well, I and- think it's. Essentially, he set up multiple options, right? Yeah. So, in case Loki or that, that things didn't play out that way, Victor Timely would come along and still would fix things and go back to pruning. It would be like he set up like multiple options of fail safes. Yeah. But the, the really, the really funny thing to me, and I like, I thought it was cool at the time, but I didn't realize quite how much it was um, seen as impressive. A lot of acting on voice coaches. Mm. were insanely impressed with Jonathan Majors as he who remains doing an impression mm. of Victor Timely. It wasn't because, quite there. Yeah, so like a lot of people uh, in the voice acting world have always said one of the best bits of voice acting ever was, I forget the voice actor's name, He but he did Daffy Duck and um, Bugs Bunny. Mm. And they said one of the best bits of voice acting ever was when he did a Bugs Bunny impression as Daffy Duck and a Daffy Duck impression as Bugs Bunny and you could tell they were ca- the character doing an impression yeah. which is so difficult to do because when they're both your voice yeah. doing an impression in one voice of another voice is very very difficult well, to do. Yeah, because you so, tend to just do the voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so him as one version of Kang doing mm. what is very clearly an impression of another version is so impressive um oh yeah and it's like so he's obviously playing loki and there's i can't remember what it is loki says but there's um kang Kang goes let go through a few thousand more times once you've got the hang of it a little bit we'll talk again 
Yeah, but Loki then says something, I'm forgetting now, that kind of like, he who remains doesn't really have an answer for. Oh, what is this? He says something like weird. Oh, it's the, um, yeah, like he who remains says that to him and then Loki goes, uh, he gives like a poem or something he recites about death or like friends and death. I can't remember what it was exactly. But he says those two lines uh, and then he remains kind of looks at him in a weird way and he's like, mm, whatever, you have a few more times. And I think that's meant to show at that point, Loki realizes, okay, now I'm outside of what he expects because he didn't know how to respond to that. And then that's when Loki goes and freezes time himself. And he's like, why do you think this is the first time we've had this conversation? And then and it's like, know, oh, shit. <laughs> and you know what my favorite part of that is? That is Loki distilled in his purest form. Because yes. that is the trickster god. He's it's, like, how can you possibly think you are in control of this situation? Well, I am Loki. I am the mischievous one. That's That's the wild thing. It's like season one. When it all like when season one kicks off, we're all like, "How is what's the angle Loki's playing here?" He's like constantly trying to trick them and play it, things into his hand while they think they're getting the upper hand. By the end of season two, we think he's past that because of how much his character's developed. We kind of forget that that is still his nature, and like you say, it's that whole trickery of like, "No, I'm the one in fucking control here." Yeah, I Joke's am on the you. one who knocks. I am the <laughs> yeah. danger that um, kind of yeah and then yeah then he's like ah, oh, and he sees the equation and that's when um i thought also another moment with jonathan majors is we see him drop the he who remains persona and he is kang and i thought that was very cool to see that suddenly he's not this like comedy sort of like bouncy character yeah. He's suddenly he's like, like a caricature and he's yeah. like, okay, cool. We're at the point now where this isn't a game for me anymore. Yeah. This is now when we can actually actually have a proper fucking conversation mm -hmm. and come to a solution. It's like, oh, he's okay, he is where he needs to be. This shit's real now. And he go and then it's like his complete tone changes. And I was like, okay, now he feels like a Kang. It, it was the gamer move of like when you go down two nil and you just lean forward. It's like okay, yeah. now we're ready. And it's just like there is no stopping it. Either the loom blows up, it's a fail safe. It dis it will always destroy everything which, but the sacred which timeline. Is genius, because we've kind of we've been a bit confused the whole time. Like, well, how did it exist before the TVA? What what's like the problem here? Mm. Why do we need the loom? Um, and like the way it's designed of just. Well, no, you try and open up the multiverse, the loom blows up, destroys yep. all the br branches, and then the TVA is rebuilt before the branches can build up again. Yeah. And, and you're back to square one. It's genius. And then he's like, or oh, the other option is you get rid of that, you get rid of the TVA, and you unleash another war of Kangs. And he's like, you don't want that on your conscience. And essentially, he's been like, there's two options, both are bad, which is the better of two evils. And trying to pin him into a corner and having that very, like, no act, no thing, like, there you go, that's it laid out. And then obviously he sees the equation and that, like, jogs some idea in his head. And then his, 
That's when he goes. Yeah. So Kang, uh, sorry, he who remains basically says to him, "The only way you can save all of existence is if you kill Sylvie." Yeah. And that's when he then goes back to the last moment where he had the timeline version of their team all together. Mm-hmm. And as they started to disintegrate, he basically froze time and rewound it a little bit so it's just him and Sylvie. And, she's like, and he explained, yeah, he explained to Sylvie, um, I've been time jumping all over the place. I went back to the battle. I've spoken with Kang. And she's like, and the only way to protect everything is to save me. And he basically, like, what I will say is with this season, I wasn't that impressed with how they use Sylvie mm. because they treated Sylvie like a different character instead of a different version of Loki. Yeah. I get and you. I feel like although they will obviously have slightly different opinions from mm. life experiences, they should still be able to understand what the other one is feeling and thinking a fair bit of the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this scene was the only scene all season where we got any of that. Sylvie kind of was able to look at him and kind of piece together a little bit of what happened. She was like, right, so you need to kill me. But in doing that, everyone loses their free will. Yeah, I think the only other time I can think of what saw like a hint of that as well was that bar scene where she's just trying to get him to actually say she knows why he's doing what he's doing. She got him to say it. But yeah, like you say, she pieces it together off him and then it's like, I feel like they set it up in that moment where we think, oh shit, he's going to go kill Sylvie. <laughs> like, yeah. this is kind of him telling her so he has some way of accepting what he has to do. Him, and, him kind of retroactively asking her for forgiveness because obviously he yes. killed a version of her before this. Uh, but she doesn't want it. She's like, I'm not going to give you permission to. You've got to make that decision yourself. And then we go back to meltdown again yeah and it's like what the fuck we're back here again okay expecting to go back and he's gonna kill sylvie and it was like okay maybe he's gonna say goodbye to everyone one last time or something and then he just fucking walks out there well he fucking sprints down the steps on his own yeah (laughs) like a madman behind him and we get the speech that we heard him say to Odin, yeah, in the first four, which he said to Odin, yeah. again, which is like a such a nice full circle moment. Uh, well, apparently that was improvised by Tom Hiddleston as well. Oh shit! That was that was his idea, and he improvised that. That wasn't the director or writer's plan. That was his oh, idea. Oh, that's so good. The man's the man knows. There is there is nothing I love more than actors who love a character. The, the franchise and the character they're a big part of and therefore they can like be so much more involved in the creative process mm. of it in making it feel more lived in because especially something like marvel how many different writers and directors have used loki who are organized slightly different opinions mm-hmm. the one constant has been tom Some, hiddleston yeah. so if he can sprinkle in a bit of himself into it it makes the character feel more consistent it's yeah, and it's also in those moments, like the writer on Loki possibly most likely didn't write the first four. So wouldn't like on the top of their head have that locked away in the back of the mind that that's a line Loki said. Whereas Tom Hiddleston was like That's I this would be a really great moment where there's that line I said to Odin 
where I wasn't like a god at that point and this person he was trying to be he feels he's come full circle why don't we put it in now the fans love it because like oh, oh, he said that the line from 4-1 <laughs> like we're all come back round yeah. uh, um, so he lets the loom blow up he tanks the temporal radiation like a G I can only assume that's be- as like a side effect of his time slipping is that he's just kind of immune to temporal I think radi- that radiation and him being a god yeah, as, with... as guardian physiology goes nuts. I was we just seen, like, the way you just walked out there, I was like, I, I felt like being like, why didn't you do this from the beginning? <laughs> Bro could um, always do this. So, uh, uh, what, one thing I did see a lot of confusion about when the loom blew up mm. and all of like the strands went everywhere and they were dying, mm. a lot of people seemed confused as to why they were dying. Okay. And I've seen one theory that makes complete sense to me. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of electing for that to be the truth because it makes the most sense unless I'm told otherwise. Um, but basically, the strands look like they're dying and losing their light. Mm. Um, and people seem to think that's because the loom was broken. So what you get is you're getting all of the Kangs coming back. Right. And that's causing instantly a war across the multiverse where everything okay. is dying and being destroyed. Yeah. And that's why Loki has to start grabbing them and pouring his magic into them, because what he's doing is essentially erasing the Kangs from them timelines. Okay. To allow them timelines to be free. So instead of the Loom just having one timeline with no Kangs, mm. he is acting as a multi-Loom. Yeah. And, like, is watching all of the timelines and like coming in and going, yeah. none of this, none of that, um, and allowing all of these multiversal timelines to coexist. Yeah, I just kind of like took it as there was nothing. Like, if you think we had the sacred timeline, there was a certain level of there was a the sacred timeline, but obviously it had like multiple strands because obviously multiverses there were all the sacred ones. I took it as like because they're not being like weaved into one thing, giving each other that like energy. It like they didn't have the they were all separated and alone they can't survive, but they need to be like stranded into one. That's kind of what I took it as, and then Loki's just taking control of them. What another thing I did find really interesting, I'm not sure if it was just an artistic choice or if it was a wink wink nod nod moment. But at first, you know, it's how all of them were quite slack. Yeah. And then they tightened up really strict, and then we got, like, a panning shot. Yeah. It looked a lot like a web to me in that moment. Yeah, so that was another thing. When they all then spread out, I also was like, well, that's how the the, the Spider-Verse was doing it as, like, a web of timelines. Yeah. And yeah. that made, like, in my head, I'm like, Okay, that makes sense because there are times where, yeah, sure, certain points on multiple timelines will match up and they can cross over, and yeah, it's like and it doesn't have parts that are parallel and stuff like that. It, yeah. Like it, that's why. But then with the dying, I was like, oh shit, it's all dying. I also really enjoyed the transition they did of his outfit into, yeah. um, 
with his his cape then turning and merging into strands as well. His horns the, were the same marble the and horn gold. The design was so good. So clever. The um, costume design was phenomenal for that. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the strands will form into the Erd tree. Yeah. Also to note, from that moment of him stepping out, no dialogue. All just music and atmosphere. And at the whole time, I'm just like, mouth open, like, holy shit, what is happening? Raw aura. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, like, he just gathers all the strands, goes to the remains of where he who remains sat. All the gold makes him a little throne. We get all those things where he talked about he didn't want a throne, or he wanted a throne, then it had given yeah. up the idea of a throne, and now he's like, now he gets a throne in solo in solitude, yeah. and all he wanted is his friends. The I genuinely think. Mm-hmm. That while we were nervous when we were told there was no reshoots, mm. and we said it's very cocky to say we knew what we wanted to shoot when we shot it, mm. my man, he chefed it up. He cooked. I, I will say, <laughs> from other than like those couple of times where we said we noticed voiceover add-ins yeah. and little things like that, they. They, they, we, they were right. They didn't need yeah. to reshoot. They, they is... definitely didn't need to add anything. They might have, if the strikes weren't happening, they might have gone, we Clean could do this one scene better, so we might just reshoot it. But I do, I see their point. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the Just the way that ended, where we got like the parallel, uh, the visual effects for it all, of... All the strands of Loki taking them, and then it's like it pans out, and it looks like a loom, but in green. And then it pans, and you've got the fucking tree. It was tree. right in front of us the whole time, though. Branches. Yeah. Well, but yeah. Like they could have, they could have called variation variations in the timeline, whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. But they called them branches, and they're like, "Ah, oh, got the sacred timeline. Can't handle branches." What can handle branches? Trees. It's the Erd tree. Mm-hmm. It's it's so beautiful. I yeah, love it so much. It was, and the visuals were stunning. And honestly, like the first one where the ending, we said it at the beginning, but the ending, the pacing, everything actually felt on point. Uh-huh. And it may have taken them several attempts, but they, I think they have finally nailed an MCU TV show. 100%. Now, what I will say is, off the back of this, Mm. an interesting theory is coming to light. I was about to say, I think this is the same theory I was going to bring up. Um, Obviously, a lot of people notice that, obviously, Loki's powers are very Mm green-based, and he's now god of time, it seems. The god of stories. Um... And the time stone was green. Mm. And then people went, wait, Wanda had reality-based powers and she was changing reality at her own whim. And her powers were red and the reality stone was red. And obviously we know the Infinity Stones don't exist anymore. 
Mm. What if characters are yep. being taken and based on their colors and the power set matching up, they are being shifted into replacing the Infinity Stones? Mm-hmm. I don't dislike the theory. I don't either. This idea idea that they're taking the legacy characters that they knew, that they essentially were trying to move away from because they wanted to set up the next set, but doing it in a way that, like, they are not being, like, killed off or anything, but they're essentially elevating to the point where they are becoming, like, the Time Stones, so powerful that they become these, like, incredible beings for specific things i'm not against it no not at all and there's and there's like a very obvious one for um the power stone as well because power stone was purple i know you're thinking there's no one who's purple but traditionally the incredible hulk wore purple shorts and i'm so down for them to go that direction (laughs) just give us one scene of bruce finally wearing purple shorts and him him just going like full strength it's definitely an interesting theory i don't know where it would be played out unless what they do is they set the characters up as these infinity stone replacements and like said elevate them to these incredible levels Mm. and then them six characters end up being the big characters for fighting hang at the very end or the beyonder or doom or whoever the big bad that they're like we need infinity stone level powerful yeah it it could be interesting i also to tie into as well with that obviously a lot of people saw the tom hiddleston interview thing where he's like this wraps up 14 years of loki and his story and everyone's like oh my god is this the end is this him saying the finale is his final thing yeah, he did add more context to that, though, didn't he? He did, I think, yeah. I believe he said, um, I've said goodbye and written emotional letters on two separate occasions just to come back. So at this time, I think it would be unwise to think I'll never play yeah. Loki again. <laughs> I think what we can expect is, I at the, at the beginning, at the end of season one, I had in my head, I was like, oh, it'd be kind of cool if this Loki rocked up and goes to see Thor, so Thor can see his brother again. But I don't think that happens now, because obviously he is in control of the timelines. He's going to treat them with the way that they're meant to go and allow them to run their course without interference, essentially. That is their new motto, is to let the tree grow and not trim or interfere if they don't need to. Um... I think we see we don't see this Loki ever come back in his like he's not he's never gonna leave the tree. He's there forever. That is his burden now is to sit in that tree alone. But I think you said it in our chats, like he can show visions of himself probably on the any timeline at any point that he wants to help guide certain people if he needs to. I put it this way. For the first time, really, in this series, we've seen Loki use his ability to, like, mirror himself. Hmm. That can't be a coincidence. I would not be surprised if that is them setting up an easy explanation 
for Loki appearing somewhere else and the time not falling apart. And it's also an easy way to depower him slightly because they can mm. just go, well, he's a projection. What can he do? What What if they use him like a watcher? That would also be very cool. And we just see a very faint green Loki in the sky at certain points. It's a little like watcher style head with like little yeah. green emerald eyes. It'd be cool. Um, it was quite. It was quite an emotional ending. Though, yeah, it was. Like, like I said, Loki's been in the MCU since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen him grow a lot as a character. If we remember the Iron Man one, the 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 Hulk film. Mm-hmm. and Thor 1 all in canon take place in the same week which mm-hmm. is known as Fury's big week yeah like Loki is tied to the very beginning of the MCU very delicately so to see like I said 14 years all these projects from absolute villain to anti-hero to good guy mm-hmm. to now protector and keeper of all time mm-hmm. is such a beautiful character arc yeah for him to like finish off and everyone's dubbing it like the, here's the god of stories it's like like you say from villain to now the god of stories which is like a flip of him being the god of mischief even though he wasn't a true god at that point when he first appeared like his it just shows how far he's come as a character. One hundred percent, and I and I am I couldn't be happier for it. And I hope this isn't the last we hear Tom Hiddleston in the MCU. And I hope they do find an excuse to bring him back for something else. It would be very cool. Now, mm. Invincible episode two. Yes. No more know, edging I'm, I'm, with the title card. Yeah, <laughs> I I know I'm gonna say it a lot. I'm so happy the show's back. <laughs> and also. I'd like to double down on my theory regarding yes. the title card from yes. last week that it was going to break away to just to show a blue and black logo foreshadowing his blue and yep. black suit. I am absolutely spot on. You, you are. Otherwise. I don't disagree at all. I, I saw it this week and a bit more falls off and I'm like, right, Connor's right. It, it, yeah, that's, what it's, that's what they're going to do. The, the end of this series is going to be him donning the blue and black suit for and sure. It's gonna, yeah, him in the blue and black and it's going to be like him getting over the fact that he's Omni-Man's son and he's just actually his yeah. own person. Um, so we've got, we've got a lot of interesting setup done this week. And what this show yes. does really, really well is it manages to do setup without it feeling like filler bullshit. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the main threads this week were we get a little bit more information about the humans that were saved on Mars in season one. Yes. That we Which kind of forgot you about. probably hadn't forgotten about that. Mark. No, I'd completely forgotten about, it and I was like, "What do I recognize?" And then they said, "Oh, just send Invincible again." I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, Mark went to Mars for a mission. I forgot about yeah. that." <laughs> um, and then you have obviously the guy who had the parasites all over him, acting really weird. And he went to the mm. bathroom, and he was a Martian, and then he, and then he was clearly worried he was about to get executed. Yeah. Um. So he got <laughs> sacked and sent home. Well, yeah, he's like, he's trying to act human, but he doesn't understand. He's like, in any situation you have this, they take things Hello, literally. Humans. Yeah, and he's like, he takes everything literal. So, like, at the end, he's like, oh, we'll give, put you on sick leave or whatever. 
uh, so you can get your head straight. And then he looks in the mirror and he's like checking if his head's straight. Like they take, he's taking everything literally. And like you say, thinks he's going to get yeah. executed. Um, and he then obviously goes on to announce himself as a hero after binging mm. lots of documentaries about the real world superheroes and, and announce himself Martian. as the Shape Smith. Which I'll be honest. I'm so annoyed, but like I just I think because it's so much had gone on in the episode before that point, shapes shift showed up, and I was like, "Ah, oh, cool, it's another." Like they're adding someone else into the Guardians, or whatever, to help. And then it clicked when he was explaining where he came from. I was like, "Oh wait, this is the Martian guy. <laughs> he's not even like he's faking it." But. I mean, see how um, that goes for him. We got more of Eve trying to do what she kind of gave up being a superhero to do, which mm. kind of be a humanitarian person. She yeah. um, fixes up an apartment block. She goes mm. to see her mother, gives her mother food, gives her a golden apple and tells her to sell it and tell her dad to stop being such a weird egomaniac and just let her help out her family. And her dad continues, no matter what he might may or may not have said that ended up being fair, he mm. does it in such a way where I just want to slap him upside the head. Such a... He's just a dick. Yes. Father. <laughs> um, but I think, the, I think the big kind of story this episode was still how Mark and Debbie are dealing with the aftermath of mm. Nolan. Yeah. And how... Mark is just desperate to prove he's not Nolan's son. Yep. And Debbie is just a wreck. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know what to do with herself. We're getting a lot of foreshadowing of a drinking problem. Yes. Um, we got a little bit in the first episode where like she had a wine glass and there was bottles everywhere and then she like poured it away. But then they're showing off a house and she gets flashbacks to a husband who deserved a punch in the mouth berating his wife for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. And then she was just getting flashbacks how Nolan treated her. Yeah. Um. So then she goes home and she goes to get a glass of wine instantly. And it was really interesting because there, there was a lot of foreshadowing with this as well. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the episode, Mark comes down to get his morning coffee and this cupboard door won't close. Three times. Annoying. One, two, three. Then he gives up with it. Then we move on a little bit with the episode. We get to her getting ready to show this house and you've got her trying to get this thing to stay closed. We yep. only see her close it three times, but you hear it keep going for a bit longer. Um, and then she obviously breaks down at her work and she goes home. And then the same cupboard again. One, two, three, still doesn't work. And then she just flips it. And it's this whole rule that you see a lot in writing of do it in threes. Mm. So we see the same interaction happen three times. Mm-hmm. And on the third time, you get a resolution of her just finally snapping and it shows how close to the edge she is with everything and that's all too much yeah um but like i said it's just loads of setting up we've got more set up with um where's donaldson come back from my man got blown up yeah which he doesn't realize why that was weird i i'm saying it's clones i can only assume so like he obviously has clones of him which they, or they, yeah, it, it must be some sort of cloning thing. Maybe they've learned from the uh, the twins. Yeah. 
either that or he's already interfering with the multiverse. Maybe. Um, we got Mark having to go and answer for his father's crime in Atlantis. Yeah. Which also gives the, I forget what they're called, basically the World Superhero Agency access to something that clearly doesn't work well for Mark in that creature's big scream that really hurt Mark. Mm. And he's like, I want, I want the boys in R&D looking at this because as much as Cecil claims he trusts Mark and he does gen- I do believe Cecil genuinely believes that Mark is better than his father and he can trust him. But yeah. at the same time, he's like, I'm not going to get caught with my pants down again. Well, yeah, that's just governments always have something yeah. in their back pocket. Um, but we're also getting little bits of Mark being quite scary. Yeah. Like, like on the went... edge of... Yeah. So he got sent to Midnight City, which looked fucking awesome. Um, because Darkwing was apparently back in action. And of course, <laughs> Omni-Man obliterated Darkwing. Yeah. Um. And we find out it's actually Darkwing, Darkwing's sidekick who's gone fucking psycho and is mm. now murdering people. Um, and he trapped him in like the shadow dimension, which is terrifying. Yeah. And he's like, even I wouldn't stay here too long, but you're staying here forever. And he's trying to goad Mark, and Mark just grabs him. And and this this is such a good artistic choice because. They could have shown like Mark's arm tensing to show how strong a grip he had on him. Mm. But instead of doing that, they made Mark look really relaxed and yeah. had Darkwing showing all the tension to show that Mark isn't even trying and you can't go anywhere. Yeah. And he pulls him in and he's like, who do you think they'll eat first? And just the most, he's like, like you said, I'm Omni-Man's son. You have no idea what I'm capable of. <laughs> I'm just like, I think Mark scares himself a little bit. He's having yeah. like an identity crisis in such a visceral way. And he's kind of flip-flopping between like the stages of grief of like anger and acceptance and bargaining. He's like bargaining because he's trying to fix stuff by just being a superhero who does what he's told. Mm-hmm. And then you've obviously got that anger where he's like, you don't know what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the acceptance where he's like, no, I'm not my dad. I'm just trying to do my best. Yeah, and, and it's like he's really kind of, struggling. It's like a roll of the dice as to... Where does Mark end up at the end of this? Does he end up accepting it? Does he just turn into his dad by trying not to be his dad? Mm. Or does he just become like a pawn of the government who just does what he's told because he's too scared to think? Yeah. I mean, it was very interesting to see him. Like, Obviously, they did it in the Shadow Realm where Cecil couldn't hear. And it's like, suddenly he kind of shows... It's almost like he's, okay, you guys are all scared that I'm the Omni-Man's son. This is what it would look like if I did that. Kind of like him going a step too far or allowing himself to go that way. Hopefully in a way that then he's like, he then realizes again, okay, that's not who I am and I don't do that. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that'll, something like that will happen again. And he'll have that realization of, holy shit, I just, like, that is me doing what my father would do. I can't, like, act that way. Yeah, well, I think that's exactly what we saw in Atlantis later on. Yeah. When the beast got free when Cecil's rockets came in yeah. and the beast was, like, starting to kill Atlanteans, Cecil was like, just leave it. You, you went there on good faith and they betrayed that. 
And he's like, no, that's what my dad would do. So I'm not leaving them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went down, he saved them. He eviscerated this beast in such a brutal way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then at the end, after like the resolution and Mark finds his mum in tears and they have to cuddle and like we're getting stuff kind of ready for the next episode, we get a cutaway to our our international uh, interdimensional mm. hopper in a different universe interrogating Mark. Well, yeah, we we jump to suddenly a Mark bound up, yeah, in some facility, and then you can hear the yeah the interdimensional guy, and it's just like starts asking him questions. And wants to know how he was caught. Yeah. Um, which I thought it was very cool how they then portrayed this ev- this version of an evil Mark. Um, and you could tell on like he's explaining how they beat Omni Man, and he's like a smirk of like, well, it cost him half of Europe though. And then he's like, well, then they w- they just wore me down till I yeah. had to sleep. I had to sleep and then they swooped in and got me. Um, which I think is why the notion of two of them is so much scarier. Because if they really need to, they can just do 12-hour shifts. And they can cause so much chaos in them 12 hours while the other one's resting. There's not a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it it's made very clear it's an alternate universe by Cecil and Davidson <laughs> being women. Um, yeah. Which I thought was funny. Yeah. It's just one of them really Female... easy ways to instantly just go, yeah, this is a different place. Do you know what was weird? Because we've just watched, I've just watched The Boys and then we've just watched Gen V. Female Cecil looked like the CIA woman. <laughs> There's a little bit of a vibe there, oh, yeah. That was like, that's the same vibe there. And I know it's probably not intentional, but <laughs> it gave off the same. Um, and then he's like, don't worry, I'm not here to hurt you. And they're like, well, who are you then? And he's like, I'm his problem. And then just walks through his portal and he disappears. Yeah. Um, Clearly setting up this idea that he is gathering information, information. he can on yeah. how best to be invincible. 100%. Um, I'm very excited to see where the rest of the season goes. Mm. Obviously, you've got um, Rex Blode now being thrown to the side. He's not the big boy in the Guardians anymore. Duplicate is all over Immortal. Hmm. I thought that was interesting that they decided. Well, I mean, it was like a replication of what happened when Eve found out that Rex was cheating on her. Mm -hmm. She was like talking with one version of Kate, and then Kate like couldn't concentrate. Yes, the exact same thing. Um, What I will say is, Mm. the internet's been cooking Rex because obviously he's just been a loudmouth dipshit the entire time. Yeah, and then people who clearly read all the comics have just gone, "I can't wait for all of the internet to start loving him." So clearly there's a, a big redemption, redemption to his yeah. character. Something um, tells me that this... Or just some such giga chad stuff that everyone's like, I don't care that he's a dick, he's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, something tells me because it's now happening to him, he yeah. has a bit of a redemption arc. Yeah, 100%. Um, but for two episodes in, I, ne- I never want it to end. I love this show so much. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that their plan is to never have to wait more than a year for the next season. Mm, yeah, they've said that. Um, so... Touch wood, we will always have more invincible right around the corner. Yeah, which will be um, really good. We were back in the cinema this week, Horry. We were. It's felt like a while. It has. Um, I think the. I think it's fair to say the Marvels was a project neither of us expected loads from. No. But we were cautiously optimistic it would be fun. 
Yes. Um, I would agree. I think we can safely say it was fun. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, Amon Valeni is very quickly becoming one of my favorite parts of the MCU. For me, she seemed to steal every scene she was in with just her mm. raw enthusiasm of being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I don't want to dwell on it too much, there are some idiots on the internet who need to be addressed while we talk about this. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we knew it was going to happen just because oh, of the nature of it yeah. being four female leads of multiple different ethnicities. Yeah. But there are some valid complaints, but I think they're only being made because of the general negative reaction to the film, which I do think is unfounded. Yes. Do I think the story itself is phenomenal? I think it's about average. Yeah. But the interaction between all of the characters is some of the best we've had for a while. Mm-hmm. The action set pieces are really solid. Yeah. And what seemed like a marketing gimmick in the position swapping when using their powers mm. was actually, I think, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was used really well. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to start with one of the criticisms I had that they need to be slapped down like a moron. Okay. Someone claimed that the reason no one likes Captain Marvel and Brie Larson is because she is just another boring, cold-hearted, ruthless female superhero. Just like this emotionless... And I'm like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> in this film, we saw her go from being someone who put themselves in a self-imposed isolation yeah. to bothering to take the time to get to know Kamala, even though she knows Kamala's a super fan, just based on her reaction. Mm. We got to see her dance and sing and respect another planet's culture, mm -hmm. which was an awesome set piece, by the way. Yeah, And we got to watch her run around chasing baby flirtings. <laughs> yeah. What part of this makes you look at that and go, that is a cold, unfeeling woman? Well, No, also, she was a well-rounded character. <laughs> don't forget as well, like, she also dealt with reconnecting with her niece, essentially. Yeah. And, and having to deal with, with yeah, the, the situation there. Like, to say that she's just cold-hearted, nothing, like, no emotion, it's like, you clearly haven't, your only perception and clearly all you've watched is Miss Marvel, like, as uh, Captain Marvel showing up in Endgame. That's your whole yeah. perception of her. Because, yeah, sure, she just shows up, she doesn't say much, and she destroys a, a bunch of shit. Yeah. But, like, no, I this think adds to the character, for sure. Out of all superhero projects that have a lot of a, a large female cast, or a larger female cast, mm. this is probably one of the first that I can think of off the top of my head, where they don't just go, all the women are super powerful, and they're all just great at everything, and yay women. And that's like sometimes what writers do. They're just like, I don't know how to write with them, so I'm just going to make mm. them awesome at everything because then everyone should just be happy. Instead, they were like, no. Kamala is there because she has to be, mm -hmm. but she's got an enthusiasm and she's going to try really hard and she's obsessed with the idea of being a superhero, so she's going to she's gonna be the moral compass. 
Yeah. She's going to be like, you're a soldier, you're a soldier. You're going to do what soldiers should do. I'm a superhero. I'm going to act like a superhero. Yeah. Then you have Captain Marvel, who's obviously incredibly powerful. She feels mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility for what's going on because she did inadvertently cause the situation. Yep. Um, but she's not that intelligent. She doesn't understand the mechanical side of everything. She doesn't understand how to fix it. She doesn't understand all of this science. Mm-hmm. She is just the leader and she's powerful because that's what she knows how to do. Yeah. And then you've got Monica, who is the very intelligent one who understands the science behind it all and has ideas on how to fix it. And, and doesn't want to be a superhero. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. She wants to just be a good soldier. She accidentally got powers while doing a fucking exploration mission into this yeah. weird hex thing. She just wanted. She just wanted to go to space. Yeah. But she came back to her mother being dead after the blip, and they don't spe- send people to space anymore. They send them to weird witch bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. It- this is like when you think about it like that. I'm not saying it's perfect female writing because I don't know how to write a female yeah. because I'm not a writer and I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I know how to write a woman's experience. Yeah. What I will say is the writers of this made a much larger effort to not just mm. go woman action hero, woman action hero 2 and woman action hero 3. They kept their identities. Yes. Kept their um, identities and wrote it in a way that they... Were, they were a team that was forced together and showed, like, those interactions of how, like, the fact that Kamala is so, oh my god, we're a team, and the others are a bit like, we, we don't want a team, but Carol kind of does miss having a team. And then it's like, they bring the best out of each other in the end, and it shows that development. And yeah. we get additional, like, we get some more depth to what's been going on with Carol and where she's been. We find out more about uh, Monica Rambeau. Um, obviously, we've recently had Miss Marvel, so she's like still pretty fresh to everyone. Um, and we get a bit like, in a way, we get to see a bit more of like what's going on with Saber, and what yeah, Nick Fury is up to. The first real interaction we've had with Saber. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, like yeah, like you said, the story wasn't anything special, but I think the character development we got from those three. And set up more for those characters. Um, I thought it was really good. And like there were so many fun interactions. Like in, them in, re- well. in reality though, is the story any worse than Guardians One? Yeah, no, like, I wouldn't oh, I, cool, the story's not terrible. Yeah. No, but that's what I mean. Like, we can sit here and we can validly say the story isn't a masterpiece. But if you look at a lot of other Marvel films that have been beloved, mm-hmm. none of them have this masterpiece of a story, really. They're all built off of the character interactions and everyone falling in love with the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this film can excels at. Yeah. The, the scene of them figuring out the entangled powers. Also, that whole thing of like, well, I remember when we saw it and we were a bit like, this is weird. How are they going to like explain them now being entangled? Like, what's the cause of this? Is that it? Like, they're going to be stuck that way. I think it was very clever how they went about that. Um, the I, This idea that that bangle has got more explanation now. We know what the fuck it is. It's not a link with the Ten Rings. 
it's its own thing. Yeah, it's uh, ancient to the universe. <laughs> yeah, just by chance ended up in Kamala's arm. But yeah, that the that scene where they're figuring out the power, like them switching places and having fun with it, was such a good scene. It, uh, is, it is a real. It's it's one of them scenes we actually don't get that often in films anymore. Because I mm. think for a long time everyone was like, "Oh, montage scenes are dumb." It's like, no, they're only dumb if you do it to show nothing of importance. Yeah. But when you think of stuff like Rocky, which yeah. is famous for its montage scenes, they added something. It was mm-hmm. about showing the progression of him getting ready for the big fight. Whereas yeah. in this, it was like, no, this allows us to have the characters be all buddy buddy very quickly mm-hmm. and also explain why the entanglement isn't as big a problem for them now because you have that first action sequence right at the beginning of the film yeah. where it's a mess yeah because they know none of them know what they're doing they're just trying to all survive at the same time and it's chaos mm-hmm. so it's like okay well we can't do that every time so let's have them we've got a quick minute and a half montage it'll be a bit of fun there'll be a couple of laughs in it It'll explain how the characters are all getting along a lot better now. How Mon- mm-hmm. how yeah, how Monica and Carol have got over their little issue. Why Kamala is calm around Carol now, mm-hmm. and why Kamala can hang out with um, Monica and their like sister yeah. relationship. And it also allows them to tidy everything up. It was done so well, mm-hmm. and like I say, it was fun. It was it, yeah. It, it kept kept the vibe up. It, it was and... it was one of those scenes that I think idiots. And I don't, I don't use that word lightly. Idiots will say it was unnecessary, but it mm-hmm. was extremely necessary. Yeah, and also, like they could have very easily done that scene, and then after that, they were perfect. Like they were switching plates, yeah. like they, but they actually kept it still a little sloppy, and made it be like, yeah, okay, they've figured out how it works and got a better hang of it, but they're still gonna fuck up and switch when they don't actually mean to switch. Yeah, because. There are situations where, like, Kamala was like, shit, I need to save these people. I'm going to have to use my powers now. And then accidentally switches when she wasn't meant to. So there's, like, it added to their, like, trio energy and then a bit of coordination, but didn't make them this, like, amazing, perfect team. Exactly. But there was so many good, there was so many fun scenes. Like, like you said, the Carol chased it when she's talking to Nick and he's like, I need you to just get the cats. And she's like, you, you need me to herd the k- kittens. And he's like, yes. And she just suddenly becomes like big kid energy and just yeah. runs after the way she runs after the cats. It, it's when they're running around savoring, you've just got your automated voice going off, just going, do not run. You will yeah. be fine. Let the cats eat well, you. It was so, because like, obviously we know from like the trailer and stuff, there was going to be kittens. So like, it's set up there, or what sort of felt like just a marketing fun thing, but was so clever how they used it. And like they set up, and Kamala's mom's like, Are "You cats looking a bit chubby. Is that is it okay?" And then we're obviously like, "Oh shit, the cat's pregnant," thinking it's just gonna have a litter of kittens. And then suddenly there's this like emergency, and it's like, "Oh, we found this weird bio weapon that's been planted on the ship. This could be a like." enemies have done this and then suddenly it's like they're everywhere on the ship and it's this realization of oh they're eggs oh they're gonna so, be like kittens yeah it's because it's like the way it was built into the story it almost felt like it was part of the Kree's plan 
So then when yeah. you get the reveal of it's just kittens, you're like, oh my god, it's just the kittens. And then um, you're like, oh, there's just going to be kittens running around now. This is going to make things interesting. And then they're like, ah, all of our escape pods have been knocked offline except for one. And there's this, when they start realizing they can then use them to transport people, it's like, oh shit. This is a that very funny. Of, like the named characters got eaten, though. They were like, "No, let's just keep them all nice and safe and in oh, shot." Well, yeah, it's like I was like, "Oh, they're just gonna eat all the crew, shove the kittens in a thing, and then they're gonna get on Carol's ship because there's only enough space for them." I was like, "Ah, oh, what a classic way!" But yeah, they're fucking kittens eating all the crew, and then what I thought was funny is that like, all the crew were panicking except for that guy that was getting a pension. <laughs> help of Kamala's dad he at the end just like holds his nose as he's about yeah. to get eaten very very good um i had a lot of fun it's uh, what i will say is for better or worse it's some of the most fun i've had going to see a marvel film in a while yeah. it was a lot of fun yeah the um it seems like the first time in a while that samuel l jackson's loved playing nick fury yeah like, he had a bit of fun, a lot of fun yeah um Amon Valani stole the show for me. She was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the other actors, when they were unsure about how to proceed, would like ask her a question. Mm-hmm. And that Amon Valani is like the living embodiment of Kamala Khan. Yeah. Brings it all to life. Seeing Brie Larson back on screen is great. We all know how great Brie Larson is. And she got so much unnecessary hate mm-hmm. after Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I was worried that she just wouldn't want to do it again. Yeah. She was like, fuck that noise i'm gonna turn up and do a great job and she did mm-hmm. getting more monica rambeau is always great like it just well yeah we like we haven't had monica rambeau since wandavision yeah so we like it was just it's like set up and then we've not heard anything so now we've kind of got the payout she's set yeah. up with her powers properly also i think is this now technically make captain marvel the first official MCU Disney princess. <laughs> like the first proper MCU because she is a princess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and while that scene I do, I will accept is unnecessary of her, like the dancing and the singing. I enjoy it because it's like one of the biggest complaints always when you deal with other planets. It's like, why is every other planet just look like Earth and everyone speaks English yeah. and it's the exact same? And they're like, fuck it. What's really different then? It's the musical planet. Everyone yeah. dance and sing. It's like, wait, why is he talking normally? It's like, oh, he's bilingual. Brilliant. Yeah, and it was like, the young, used young kook, I think is how you say his name. But like, he is obviously a K-pop star. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty okay, sure. Right. I, I, I didn't recognize him. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm not a big K-popper. <laughs> Neither am I, but I remember reading... <laughs> Corey's uh, lying. He loves K-pop. He 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 uh, followed BTS on tour all last year. <laughs> but um, the fact that they did music—it's it's, it's a comic book film. They can be yeah. done with the planet ideas, and like, uh, Park June is his name. Not Park me. Park Sao June. Yeah. Um, he, I'm just seeing he's an actor. Oh wait, no, he does have some songs on here. Maybe he's okay, just cool. Captain. I think I by the looks of it, he's like a um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like Korean's equivalent of Bollywood. 
Uh, possibly. I feel like he's like big over. So he does like a lot of musical stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I know people were very yeah. excited for him to be in it. Yeah, it, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. It's one of them things that I would never have said I want in a film, but I really enjoyed it. It was good. I also really enjoyed the fact that like Carol was just like, oh, yes, there's this weird like culture thing, didn't let on. And then the other two are just like, like everyone else is just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, yeah. this is amazing. You know she's going to get rinsed for that. Especially because, like, out of the three of them, yeah, Carol seems the most, like, a little bit uptight and wouldn't be down for something like this. Whereas Kamala instantly was like, yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> yeah, Kamala's just dancing and she's like, dancing. Come on, why is no one else dancing? And Carol's like, I am. And then she actually danced. It's just like all a ruse. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Very, very good. Um, but we do need to talk about... The post-credits scene. There is only one post-credit scene, but there's actually two because it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, so... you have the scene right at the end, and mm -hmm. then you have a post-credit scene. Traditionally, mm -hmm. they would have both been post-credit scenes. True. So, um, you have obviously at the end of the main story, um, Monica closes up the hole in universes, yeah, and she gets trapped on the other side, and she's presumed dead. But they don't uh, make a big enough deal out of it for us to believe she's actually nah. dead. And um, we knew that um, she was just trapped in another world. Yeah. Um, and then they're sat in a plane and Kamala goes, I need your help for something. And I just know Aman had so much fun doing this scene. Yeah. So we get a little silhouette in the doorway that looks like a person with maybe a bow and arrow on their back. Mm -hmm. Then the door opens and it cuts to a, a Labrador. Yeah, and a bit of pizza lands in front of it. Yeah, at which point I just want everyone to know this: Jenna is sat next to me. She grabs my arm and gasps <laughs> in in the mo in the most I know that dog way ever. It was so funny. I <laughs> straight away picked up yeah. on it. Um, and then obviously she walks in. And we're like, oh, cool! It's 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 Hawkeye. It's it's Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. Hawkeye, yeah. Um, and then Kamala doing her best Nick Fury. Yeah, I was like, oh shit! In the shadows. I was like, oh shit! Is Nick Fury gonna do some stuff again? And then I realized it's Kamala, and it's like, so it's just you know her inner self was like, I'm doing the Nick Fury thing. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> like, just so excited to get to do that thing. It, it's it's the bouncing between I'm going to be all serious and intimidating like Nick, mm -hmm. but I am still Kamala, so like I'm very anxious and self conscious about this. So like the I want you on the team, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> it's like, do you know how to get into contact with Ant Man's daughter? <laughs> Just like stuff like that. It's so funny. Obviously, setting up the Young Avengers. Yes. Of, yeah. I love though because I can just imagine when Amon read the script for that scene, mm -hmm. she's probably really excited to get to work with Haley because they're yeah. more similar ages, and mm -hmm. she knows that's probably a character eventually she'll interact with a lot. She's like, "Wait, I get to be Kamala pretending to be Nick Fury? This is going to be so much fun!" I'd I'd love if it comes out that that was originally going to be Nick, like, oh, like, let me do it. and then she's like, I "Have this really fun idea. <laughs> I do it." As if I am Nick Fury. 
Because I, I love the idea, especially when she said that she found the tablet underneath her couch at yeah. home. I love the idea that they don't know she's gone to do this. And she was like, I loved being part of a team. I would like to form my own team. And then she finds it and she's like, young heroes in my area. <laughs> might, wait, that actually might not be a bad shot. Like, what if she hasn't done this? She's just going to rock up to Nick and be like, so I've put together a team. Funders. <laughs> Because let's be clear, we have Scar hmm. from the end of She-Hulk. Yeah. We have Cassie. Mm. We have Haley. Mm-hmm. We have Kamala. That's a solid team already. Mm. Where you only maybe need two more people. You we've already got um forget his name from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, Vietnam, oh, America's grandson, yeah, yeah, and we've already been teased about Wanda's boys that could come in after yeah. the multiversal stuff. You've got a solid roster there ready to go, yeah, you have. Um, and I love the idea of Nick Fury very late on finding out about it, but having to pretend he knew all along. Because he can't believe he didn't know this was happening. So he's yeah. like, I have to convince them I knew all along and let them get away with it. <laughs> I also love the idea of he already struggled enough controlling the Avengers. The pain he's going to go through trying to order around and control young Avengers. I can just see the frustration now. 100%. Um, that would be so funny. And then we got the post credit scene. Might be. I'm just I'm just thinking quickly. Okay. It might be one of the hype most most credit scenes for me personally. I'm trying to think of another one that is on that level of oh shit. There will be some others, but I the, can't think of any off the top of my head. The only ones I can kind of think. Like the only other big post credit scene moments is like when Thanos finally got like revealed. Yeah, but the thing for me is that was before I really got into knowing everything, so I didn't even think much of that at the time. True. Um, I'm trying. To... Oh, the the only other one up there would have been Guardians Two, where they teased Adam Warlock. That would have been right up there. Yeah. Um, but they're like it's definitely one of the biggest. So Monica wakes up in a hospital bed. Yeah, and we're like, oh with, shit, she's been out of it. Yeah, with Maria right next to her. Hmm. So instantly she's like, Mum, what, what, what are you doing here? And Maria looks at her like, What the you fuck, Mum? You fucking weirdo. <laughs> yep. Um, and she's like, it's, it's it's okay. Calm down, calm down. The doctor will be in a minute. And I, I haven't, I haven't even like started thinking anything crazy. I'm like, my my head is like, oh, she's the the timeline world that she ended up in is one where her mum. Yeah, and like the hospital looks quite advanced. Maybe it's one where they fixed the cancer and her mum survived. Well, I was more thinking, oh, is this the one where her mum is Captain Marvel instead? But no, because she's dead. They all died in that universe. Sorry, multiverse of madness. No, and oh, do you mean just like another one? Where yeah, he is okay, cool. Um, 
And then the white coat kind of glanced in the background. I'm like, oh, I wonder who this is. And then we pan away and we, I see the blue fur. And yeah. I literally, you know me, I'm very big on like in a cinema, you've got to be respectful. Even I like gasped louder than I'd like to. Admit. And, like, <gasps> I was like, oh, it's the fucking beast. <laughs> I was like, no fucking way. No way. Um, and it is not only is it Beast, it is Beast mm. who played Beast in the original Fox trilogy. Which, um, when you told me this, I was like, "Holy shit!" That was why it sounded what, like just. It's why it's like I saw it, it so familiar. Yeah, I was like, they, "It's Beast!" Like my brain obviously yeah. went straight back to. It. I'm like, "We're an X Men." Yeah. Holy we, shit! We we're were, we were we were there and we were ready to cook. Um, it was so so good just to see him there the cgi they did on him instead of all practical was i think really solid yeah i think it was as well um, instantly he was like setting up what was going on he's like um we would like you to tell us what the fuck happened here um because like... you kind of come from nowhere and we think you're from a different universe i also like how monica's mom was like marie is it her mom's called yeah marie marie is like she seems confused and he's like well confusion leads to answers and it's like so it would seem you came through a rift in time and space and got trapped here which shouldn't be allowed uh then he mentions charles uh and then obviously he mentions marie is called binary yeah uh and then we also get the pan out a bit and it shows the x-men bunker door the the OG like I was in my childhood when I saw that door. Yeah. And uh something I noticed online that someone pointed out is Beast has the like purpley blue shorts on with the yellow like this is He's got a proper X-Men costume mm. on. Who else has proper X-Men costumes on? Oh yeah. Uh, gentle reminder for anyone in the audience uh, Deadpool 3 is the next MCU movie mm. and if only we'd seen both someone characters. from that in a, character, in a uh, comic mm. book accurate mm. X-Men costume crazy <laughs> would you know what's wild this is what Kevin meant about we were going to see X-Men sooner than we thought Yeah, but I did not expect it at the end of the Marvels and I'm all for us now kind of witnessing a parallel timeline going on of in the X-Men world and in our MCU world to allow them to set up characters in both towards yeah. uh, Secret Wars. Towards the incursions, giving us one universe, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, binary. I did a little bit of research. Not okay. a full character profile, just a little, little tidbit. Because I was like, I wonder if this is important. I don't know this na name. Let me do some Googling. Mm -hmm. um, so binary in the comics mm. is a pure energy form of Carol Danvers who becomes sentient. Oh. But is non-verbal. So the character is clearly very, very different. Yeah. They've taken someone who is related to Carol Danvers and then yeah. they completely changed everything else because she was communicating. She wasn't yeah. pure energy, but 
very interesting that they still chose binary. Yeah. I mean um cool. I'm I'm so excited. I did not expect to see such an obvious X-Men reference there no. and then, especially after the Young Avengers tease. Yeah. I, We've just I've had like two so big excited. setups essentially. Huge. I've been waiting for the Young Avengers so, for so long. Yeah, we've known it's coming. Yeah, it had to be coming. Um, and now I'm so hyped it is. And the best is because we're going to have Young Avengers soon, we're going to get to see Spider-Man be an established hero with more experience than a lot of the Avengers because they obviously can't be the Young mm -hmm. Avengers forever. Eventually, they mm -hmm. become the Avengers. And you're going to have a Spider-Man who doesn't work with the Avengers anymore, like Spider-Man should have, mm -hmm. really. Um. And he's going to have more experience so they don't talk down to him anytime they interact, and it's going to mm -hmm. be great. It's, it's, I'm so I'm so excited for X-Men. Yeah. I, I know I know. literally two weeks ago we were like, it's so Jova, but we are back, baby. <laughs> Honestly, that Loki finale and the setup right from the, the Marvels, Marvels. Um, it's very yeah. cool. Just a couple bits more factual to talk about the Marvels real quick. A mm. lot of people are saying it bombed. Um, mm. Financially, it's the worst start to an MCU movie. There are several very large mitigating factors people need to remember. Mm -hmm. This is the only Marvel project that has not been able to do any publicity due to strikes. Mm -hmm. Also, it might be Marvel's worst ever opening. It's still a record opening, though. It is the largest ever opening for a film with a black female director. There we go. So. Yeah, I think people I still just. Liked it. We it's... need to accept that Marvel isn't in its peak anymore. But. Yeah, and um, every... This guy sounds so cringe, but it's the only way I can think to describe it. Okay. Fortnite is not in its peak anymore. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's still not one of the biggest games in the world, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's. Mar like... Marvel isn't going out there and dominating the the box office every single month anymore. But guess what? It's still making money. That's, that's what people like. Marvel, it's not going to be able to sustain this idea of breaking records every time it drops a new film. Especially when like Endgame was like this incredible. Like you're not going to always be a record breaker, but it doesn't mean it's like terrible. So. Yeah. Exactly. There's one thing I've just thought of as we were talking about like well, multiverse stuff at the end. I kind of wish we'd got some f sort of thing at the end as it like got, I don't know, some hint of green with like the multiverse thing to show that, oh, we're in Loki's world now. And any time something happens in a Marvel movie now, Hori's going to be like, I just wish there was a tint of green so that we know Loki's well, watching. <laughs> any, any multiverse stuff, I think, should move away from purple and now be green. I just wish Tom Hiddleston was sat next to him in the cinema so that I know Loki's watching with me. <laughs> he is the watcher. <laughs> no, I, I didn't get what you're saying. It would have been really fun. Also, shout out to Tom Hiddleston and his wife. Um, his wife played, I forget her name, the big bad of the Marvels. Oh. So they dominated Marvel's Friday. Yeah, there it you go. Them. It was them and just them. It was their week. Um, into possibly the juiciest nerd news network we've ever had. Yes, quite hefty news. It is. 
Um, we expected this in all fairness after the um, strikes ended. We knew it was only going to be a matter of time before they were all trying to beat each other to the punch for announcing yeah. shit. So, let's, um, let's start here. MCU has once again reshuffled its release dates. Mm. So, three, four weeks ago, Deadpool 3 got pushed back and Captain America 4 came forward. Yep. They've now man, announced that Captain America 4 is going to be doing some reshoots. Oh. Some major reshoots by the sounds of it. So this is um, the new running order for the next couple of films. Mm-hmm. Deadpool 3 is now going to be the only MCU film that comes out in 2024. Okay. And it is July 3rd, 2024. Okay. Just after my birthday. Yeah. Um, Captain America will be coming out February 14th, 2025. Okay. We're then going to get the Fantastic Four film on uh-huh. May 2nd, 2025. Followed by the Thunderbolts in July of 2025. Mm-hmm. And Blade in November of 2025. Mm. I do not trust any of these dates will stay the same other than Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3 still <laughs> might shift like a week or so. Yeah. But the others... I could see moving six months, depending on what happens. Yeah, depending how the reshoots go for Captain America. Fantastic Four, I mean, I think still comes out 2025, but like you say, it could shift. It, it could come out in November, and Blade yeah. might never see the light of day. Blade, who fucking knows? Thunderbolts, also kind of who knows? Yeah. Um Especially considering there were rumours that Thunderbolts was going to be scrapped altogether. Yeah. So, um, bearing in mind, we were supposed to be getting ready for the end of the multiverse saga by November 2025. Mm. But there was supposed to be two more films after that in the multiverse saga. It's wild how things have shifted. And now we've not even got to the next Avengers film. By 2025. Yeah, thing, things have got so messed up. Yeah. Um, and I actually do think it's going to end up being good for the MCU. Mm. It'll take a bit of pressure off the casual fan to feel like they have to keep up in such an aggressive way. Um, yeah. It'll give t- people a bit of time to go, oh, I want to I wanna see what's happening with Marvel. I've got Disney Plus. Let me binge everything, see what's mm. happening. Um, more kind of date news, I guess. Yeah. James Gunn has announced that Superman Legacy will still be making its initial, initially slated release of July 11th, 20, uh, 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that the strikes, which are now resolved, yep. um, did not go on so long that it it's delayed the production or anything. It should still come out when it was supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually gives us a really good insight into how much these strikes affect when something that wasn't due to come out for another 18, 20 months, mm. he felt the need to go, we're still on target. Yeah. It shows you that basically anything that was due to come out before that has it's probably, probably been majorly effective. Yeah. Ma- majorly effective. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm not sure if this should be included in news, but it made me laugh. <laughs> It was a weird bit of uh, information that came out. So, 
Fantastic Four director Matt Shapman mm-hmm. has said that his time on Always Sunny in Philadelphia will influence the film. I don't know. I've not watched personally a lot of Always Sunny, but I've seen a lot of Always Sunny clips. Yeah, I've, yeah. This show is batshit insane. Yeah. It is a very dark humor show mm-hmm. that a lot of people try to claim couldn't be made today, despite the fact it is literally made today. Yeah. Um, it is very edgy, but done in quite a tasteful way. It's very, very funny. And from the clips I've seen of it, they always make me laugh. And it has been on my list for about four years to watch it. Mm. Um, but the notion that this is going to impact this Fantastic Four film is hilarious to me. Because there's like there's some like such out of pocket clips of like um one of when... the characters going they just have raw mixer here because <laughs> they're all like heavy drinkers yeah. He's like, no that's just orange juice normal people just drink that by itself He's like, I just what no alcohol <laughs> I wonder if it just means that there's gonna be some like proper left field jokes just get. Or does he there. mean that it's just going to be like rigid sitcom style camera angles? <laughs> <laughs> just it's like a Fantastic Four sitcom. Yeah, like I, I, I can't even work out what he could possibly mean by this. This way, it's just like think... some of the cast are just going to randomly show up as yeah. other characters in the film. <laughs> I genuinely think he just knows how funny the Always Sunny fandom is, and he was like, "They are going to cook up some phenomenal memes," and I'm bored. I, I, yeah, I can see it now. Someone's going to take like <laughs> always sunny memes and put like Fantastic Four characters on it. Yeah, and it's just 100%. Gonna... You're going to have a scene of character doing out of pocket shit and someone drawing like Fantastic Four uniforms. Yeah. 100%. Um, back to the Loki season two finale very briefly. Yes. Um, it's been reported that it had 11.2 million viewers during its first three days. Which is wild for it. Great for an MCU TV show. 100%. Hopefully that um, is something that they can look at and go, right, this is the kind of stuff people want. Let's take our time, do it properly, and tell a story worth telling. Yeah. But like, Hopefully they take away, like you say, understand why people love the story so much and understand how they got the pacing right this time. 100%. But yeah, um, great for them. For all my fellow comic nerds out there, Peter and Miles will be getting their first ever combined ongoing comic called the Spider-Man. The Something Spider-Man. Okay. I want to say it's the Ultimate Spider-Man or the PlayStation Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but they will be getting their first ongoing comic, uh, nice. which is really cool. It's actually outrageous that it's never happened before. We've had a yeah, when I saw this and I was like, this isn't already a thing. Yeah, they're going to have their first continuous ongoing. And as someone who currently collects Amazing Spider-Man and Miles, I'm kind of like, do I just need to start collecting it? Yeah, your backlog's, about to, your backlog's about to increase. Don't. It's so bad. So bad. Um, Destin Daniel Creighton is no longer directing Avengers Kang Dynasty. I feel like we've seen a million directors leave this project. Why do I feel like there's a multitude of reasons to this, though? My my brain kind of goes, not red flag, but like 
Avengers Kang Dynasty, because of everything that's gone on with strikes and different things, will have got pushed back. He might not be able to do it anymore. It might clash with another project that he had lined up that far in the future. Like, 100%. people, like, there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be this issue now of directors have scheduling issues. 100%. So, it's absolutely going to happen. Um, no reason has been given. We'll just have to see what comes of it, I guess. That or Kevin's lost all faith in his original choices. Yeah. <laughs> um, more interesting Marvel news. Mm. So a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of given the impression that Wonder Man had been cancelled. Yeah, that was. And we were like, that kind of sucks. Circulating news. Um, I guess they're just trying to trim down how much they're making to try and focus on quality. Mm -hmm. Um, But now it seems that it's due to start filming after Thanksgiving. And apparently it's been moved under the new Marvel Spotlight banner which hadn't been announced when the Wonder Man has been cancelled mm. news broke. So I do wonder if the insiders just saw that it wasn't under Marvel Studios slate anymore mm-hmm. and assume it had been cancelled, but in fact that was because it had been moved to the Marvel Spotlight yeah. slate, which hadn't been announced as being a thing yet. Yeah, probably most likely. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But... Yeah. With the Marvel, the one, the one of the good things about the Marvel Spotlight thing is because we know it's due to be these grounded street level stories, mm-hmm. we kind of know what to expect from Wonder Man. It's going to be grounded and in street level. It's not meant to affect really the bigger picture yeah. of the MCU, so we know it's not yeah. going to have yeah. too big of a. You time. shouldn't. You shouldn't have to worry about watching it if you just want to keep in the loop of the bigger story. Yeah. Venom Three has restarted filming. Tom nice. Hardy has shared a selfie from the set with a production assistant who looked very embarrassed <laughs> to be in the picture. Um, it, I mean... You know Tom Hardy was like, I need to put something on social media, come here, I need to take a picture. And they're like, wait, do you want, you want a picture with me? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and they're like, uh. We are... We're definitely going to have a lot of these kind of... Um, Things restarting. Yeah, hundred percent. We're going to see a lot of set photos coming out now because it's going to be like, oh, I can talk about stuff yeah. I'm working on again. Yay! Because they didn't like not like it wasn't like they were on holiday. No, <laughs> they were fighting well, yeah, for their like, livelihoods and the livelihoods of their co-workers. Like it's not something we've mentioned, but I know I saw as soon as the strikes had ended, like loads of the Ahsoka cast started posting their set oh, photos yeah. and sharing stuff, and it's like. All of that, like, it's stuff that I'd forgot we'd been missing out on. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's all back. Yeah, that was one of my favourite things on the first day of the strikes being over. Everyone from the projects that we've enjoyed during the strike, just Mm. dumping all of their set photos was so nice. It was cathartic, especially like some of the Gen V photos and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, you guys look like you had a blast. I'm so happy. And that was quite a nice thing to have yeah. experience. And normally, like stuff like that, you can sometimes miss. Mm. But because it was so many actors doing it at the same time, there yeah. was just loads. It was yeah, great. and everyone was obviously talking about it. Um, nothing has actually come of this news yet. Okay, so I want I want that to be clear. Okay. Nothing has actually happened, but a U.S. congressman has called for the FTC to investigate Warner Bros. Discovery over its predatory practice that's a quote from the congressman of scrapping already completed movies 
such as Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Batgirl. And the recent Acme versus Piote project that caused yes. quite the uproar. Um, what I will say is, after the backlash just from the internet, mm. apparently Warner Bros. Discovery are looking to try and sell the film off now. Ah. Um, because they, everyone was like, a lot of people who worked on it were releasing set photos and saying how proud they were of it. Mm-hmm. And then people who knew their work were like, "What? You're the wait? You're this proud of that? Why the fuck are they? Why? 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 Why are they get? Yeah, I it? saw loads of people that worked on the the Acme versus Coyote one were just like, "It's like a great project." I also like how with Batgirl they were like, "Oh yeah, we've we've deleted it and removed it. We've got rid of it." This time they're like, "We've vaulted it." They're being very careful about their wording (laughs) because they got so much hate over the idea that they just hit delete on a whole complete film. Yeah. Um, I, so here's the problem that, and I think this is something people don't quite understand. The articles are always correctly written as so-and-so has axed this film to get Mm. a tax break. Mm. And they are doing it for that reason. But it's only a tax break because they spent the money to make it. Mm-hmm. It's not like they get an additional tax break. It's just like, oh, no. this is $30 million worth of losses. So that's $30 million off of our taxable income. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's not that black and white. I'm not an accountant, but it's like a general concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think something has to be done about films that are 100% being complete just getting mm. shelved. It's, it's very weird. Ha- it, it's this growing concern of like lost media. So like mm. I'm not sure how many people know this, but a lot of the original Doctor Who shows from the 60s mm. are lost media. Because mm. back in the early days of TV, when mm-hmm. they filmed something, they'd run the tape mm. and then they'd wipe the tape and reuse it. Yeah. And then after like 10 years, which is obviously a lot of time of media lost, they were like, oh, this TV thing might be around for a while. We better keep this stuff. Mm. Um, and now, and and then not long after that, they started archiving stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there was a massive fire in the BBC archives mm. before yep. people knew that you back it up and then you yeah, have yeah. a backup that's off-site. Yeah. Um, and they lost it all. So there is a lot of Doctor Who footage that has lost media. Which is um, sad. And that's why people are so upset with Batgirl, especially when they found out it had been deleted, because it's like, that's now lost media. Yeah. That was hundreds upon probably thousands of man hours going into a project of hard work and for a lot of people, dedication mm-hmm. that's just gone forever now, never yeah. to be seen. So bad. And even if they don't want to release it and make money off of it right now, I think it should be illegal for art to just be destroy and i know it sounds so pretentious calling a comic book movie art all cinema is art whether it's good art or bad art is completely irrelevant it is still art and the notion that some faceless corporate arsehole ceo Mm. can just go no deleted is abhorrent there should be it's a shame and i know this would never happen there should be something in like the contracts of the director writers or something that like if something is vaulted is not never initially released and gets vaulted and doesn't get released within like x amount of years all the rights go to the people that made it yeah and then they can do what they want with there, it. 
in contract stuff needs to be written in of like if you guys decide you don't want to release this you have to let the owner of the ip you're making the film of and if mm. that is still yourselves the director they have to be allowed to go and try and sell it to another studio mm-hmm. obviously you have to accept the offer but i i as the director or say like lord of the rings with amazon yeah. like the the tolkien estate are like you guys don't want to release it okay we mm-hmm. are allowed to go and try and sell it to another service yeah there should be some um, protection there because it's 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 scary how much stuff could just be gone i mean me and you both have backups of basically every second of this podcast yeah now i'm very confident that youtube isn't going to just delete the channel no because we've not done anything wrong but google don't exactly have a perfect history of never just taking something well, out of service you want a prime example for the gamers that might be listening to this there is thousands of machinima videos that just got unlisted yeah there was other people's content that they posted through machinima and it's just that is lost to the world unless someone can get in there and un like relist them all yeah and it's just like it's such a sad it's so sad that that happened yeah 100 percent. so um yeah and like that shouldn't be allowed to happen it's now trailers into the trailers we have three trailers come out this week (laughs) can you tell the strikes are over yeah i know right okay first and foremost we have the madam web trailer Mm. now it does look okay it does doesn't it i i i initially had one thought which i tweeted and i also said to you Mm -hmm. um let me just get it so i don't misquote myself because that'd be very embarrassing (laughs) Uh, it's giving big great premise poor execution just like the flash because mm. i look at it and i'm like i like bits of what i see here but i feel like it's gonna fall flat yeah um, it's because we when it first got announced we were like we know fuck all about this is and it was not long after the the Morbius situation, and, yeah. and we were and the rumors coming out that Craven was going to be a vegan. Yeah, and we were animals. just like, "Oh no, Sony, what are you doing to us?" <laughs> and then they and took then... a character that we know as an old lady sat in a chair mm-hmm. and made her Dakota Johnson. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they announced more of the cast. Well, okay, the cast sounds interesting, but we still know fuck all about the story. And then this right. trailer's come out, and it's like, okay. It looks interesting, but Sony, you've got a track record. <laughs> like, we don't trust you anymore. So it's, who knows? This is where my character profile being Cindy Moon this week mm. is fucking hilarious. Because yeah. while Cindy Moon is not in the trailer, there are some very interesting parts that coincide. A, I will not be surprised if Cindy Moon is a post-credits teaser in this film. Mm-hmm. But the um man we see in the yes. dark Spider-Man costume and in the suit mm-hmm. is Ezekiel Sims, which is what I picked up on. Now I didn't know a lot about this character, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, cool, this is interesting. He's clearly the bad guy. Yeah. However, after doing some research, I'm more confused. 
Okay. Because Ezekiel Sims is, as far as I can tell, mostly a good guy. Okay. His entire thing is he's a spider totem. Yeah. Who found out about Morlun, the mm-hmm. uh, spider totem vampire dude. Yeah. Um, and then spent lots of time researching and finding ways to protect spider totems from Morlun so that future spider totems, like Peter Parker mm-hmm. and Cindy Moon, could be safe from Morlun. Okay. That's, that's like base level that seems to be his uh, motivations mm. but they seem to have turned him into a dark spider-man style serial killer so it almost seems like they've kind of merged ezekiel stims and morlon into yeah. one guy or maybe the trailer's edited really weirdly and the guy in the all black spider-man style suit is it Ezekiel Sims? Yeah, maybe it's meant to be Morlan. Who knows? So that's a bit confusing yeah. to me. Who knows? Um, but we do have the three Spider Women. Yeah. So we've got Madam Webb, who's Cassandra Webb, who's a paramedic. Yeah. Then we've got Sydney Sweeney, and I forget the name of the other two actresses. Um, the Mexican actress yeah. is going to be the DCU's Hawk Girl, though, which is wild. Okay. Um. And she's playing Anya Cortez, who was the second Spider-Woman. Okay. And then the uh, black girl is Matty Franklin, who is the third Spider-Woman. Right. Clearly, Ezekiel seems to be hunting them down because they become Mm Spider-Women. And Dakota's aware of who they are because of her ability to see in the future. Sorry, Cassandra is aware of who they are because of her ability to see in the future. Um, the interesting things to note is her paramedic partner in the mm. trailer is a very famous actor. Um, and it's rumoured that he's playing Ben Parker. Okay. Which has people concerned. Yeah. Because they're like, are we just going to have an unnecessary force to evolve? Here's my nephew Peter scene. And then Ben dies. <laughs> yeah. Um this film has big 2000 superhero energy. Which all the Sony films have been given. It is a worry. I'd love I'm, to I'm... be pleasantly surprised and it's more of like a good film like the Venom ones have been. Yeah. But I do worry that this could be in the realm of Morbius and Craven. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I guess we should wait and see. Yeah, we just have to wait and see. I'm really curious. Um, it's not a bad trailer at all, but no. it's one of them trailers that really feels like they very carefully selected the good bits. Yeah, I get. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm really curious as to Ezekiel's um involvement, motivation. Yeah. We then got a trailer for mm. What If season two, which we've been very excited for. Yes. Um. So that comes out December 22nd, or the first episode does. Mm. But then we get one episode every day for nine days until the end of the year. And that's a lot of it in calendar. It's kind of cool. I like it. And with one of them in the trailer, seemingly a Christmas episode. Yeah. That has to come out on Christmas Day. I assume so. So the biggest part of the trailer seemed to be from one episode in which it seems to me 
like Ego never left after Peter was born. Mm. And you have a young Peter developing his um, godlike powers with an earlier Avengers team based off of like World War II Avengers mm. being like um, T'Chaka as Black Panther, yeah. Hank Pym as, the, as um, Ant-Man, yeah. stuff like that. But it seems to be set like in the 70s, maybe the 80s, where Peter Quill was a bit younger. Mm-hmm. Ego never left, and they're trying to stop Ego from taking over the world. Yeah. A lot of the trailer seemed to come from that episode. Yeah, which is probably going to be the first one. Yeah. We got a bit of a tease from the episode that was scrapped from season one of Tony and Gamora on Scar instead of Bruce. Yeah. And they had like their roller derby with like Jeff Goldblum's yeah. character. Um, me and you really enjoyed the first season of What If. Yeah. Um, it was fun. I don't think it needed to be as interconnected as it was. I think it could have just been nine one shots. Yeah. But I didn't dislike them making it a bigger thing. Yeah. It's sort um, of like it was all. Seemingly individual, and then at the end they were like, "Oh yeah, by the way, these are all connected in a way." And yeah. it was like, "That's cool." I'm looking forward to more of it. It was a fun yeah. way to kill twenty minutes and like see some interesting they were, ideas. Yeah, they're, they're fun little ideas, and you get to play around with these different scenarios, which yeah. makes for it's fun not, content. It's not a thing to be taken insanely seriously. No, it's one of them things. If you're a massive loser like me and Hori who wants more Marvel content despite being given hundreds of hours every single year. Um, I'm also fully on board if we're going to get some sort of Marvel Christmas special every year. Yeah. Last year it was Guardians. This year we're getting a what if. Bam. Next year can we just have a, a, a full-on film? <laughs> um, then Percy Jackson. Finally got Percy Jackson trailer. Yeah. Now we we still haven't even like really discussed if like when it comes out we're going to cover this, but I've said that depending on how it looks, I'd be interested to potentially cover mm. it. Um, and I saw the trailer was due to come out. I was like, I'll give it a watch. Yeah, it looks really good. Trailer does. I look never good. read the books. I never I read the books. Either. I watched the original films, and I liked them. I didn't think they were great, but I liked them. I, I don't know if I saw the original films properly. Um, I don't think I did. I think it's going to be fun. I don't know if it's going to be any good. I'm definitely going to watch the first episode, and if I don't hate it, I'll watch the second one, and then yeah. we'll see where it goes. If they hold on to me for the whole series, sweet. Um, yeah. But I do like that they've got a legitimately like 12, 13-year-old cast this time. Yeah. Because it makes the book, so it makes the story a lot rawer than doing what Hollywood did for the first bunch of films, which was a bunch of 18-year-olds, they're claiming a 15. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're doing it properly in a way. So yeah, because be they got uh, Rick Rick Rawdon, who wrote it, to actually work with them oh. this time, yep. instead of just paying for the IP and then telling him to get the fuck out. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Then we've got some massive casting news, which I, I, I'm double-checking right now. I don't think we've had any... 100% confirmation or this is bullshit yet. I think yeah. this is still just very very much a popular rumour that 
is potentially true just because the speed at which it went viral. Yeah. Um, but Javier Bardem from mm. Skyfall played the bad guy in Skyfall mm-hmm. and apparently had a role in Dune, although I've not seen it. Mm-hmm. Is apparently being linked with the role of Galactus. I'm all for that. Which I I don't dislike that casting at all. I think that could be quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our boy Pedro Pascal, the daddy. Um, mm-hmm. if you don't know who he is, he played the uh, Joel in the Last of Us, and he played the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> has been apparently cast as Reed Richards. I like that casting a lot. I don't hate um, it. And I'm also already adoring the memes that go alongside it. Because for those who are aware, Reed has a son, Franklin, who mm. is incredibly powerful and important to the Marvel continuity. Mm. So everyone was like, Pedro Pascal beat the shit out of other actors to get the role once he found out that he was a father who had a special child to protect. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Them coming to Pedro and being like, do you want to do this role? And he's like, oh, I'm very busy. He has a very important child he has to look after. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> so I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't hate it. I know I've seen a lot of people once again are like, oh, but John Krasinski, like, why not just keep him? He was really, he's like made for it. And it's like, if if he wanted to do the role, I I find it hard to believe they haven't considered him. And there was some discussion there. Maybe he doesn't want to. Do you know what I genuinely think it was? He saw the hype around it. Yeah. He agreed to do the cameo. Yeah. And he said, don't think I want to commit to doing this for 15 years. Yeah. They they will have gone, this is going to be a commitment going forward. And like everyone knows once you're in Marvel, you're in it for a while. Like Maybe he just didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I think that's why they've actually struggled to get a fantastic forecast together and why there's been so many rumours. Because I genuinely think people are like, yeah, I like the idea of doing this. It's a cool character. It's a cool concept. Mm. I'm down. And they're like, cool. Because it's Fantastic Four. Here is a contract for the rest of your life. Yeah, here's a... You can't, you can't even look at another camera we don't own without our permission. It's probably just like, here's like a flat 25-year contract with who knows, how, like an unlimited amount of projects that we want to put you in. <laughs> it's just like... I'm so ready for the the montage first trap TikToks of Pedro Pascal, where it's just a, a montage of The Last of Us, Mandalorian, and him as Reed Richards. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, 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 I never even thought about him as a potential no, we didn't. Reed Richards. But the second they said it, I was like, you know what? I could see that working really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um. He's obviously Latin. Uh, sorry, Latina, not Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, Reed Richards is just such a white name. I think I just defaulted to thinking of white guys. Yeah. But, but... actually, it's, it's a fucking... So- I'm, I'm amazed I haven't seen that as a fan casting at any point. I, I feel like I wonder if just people thought, oh, he's so busy with Star Wars. He's so busy Maybe. with The Last of Us. Like... He, little do they know he won't be that big a part of season two <laughs> well l- also mandalorian is like we yeah. know it's on the he's a the, voice actor for that now <laughs> yeah and we know that the mandalorian is 
closing into that wrap-up film. So it's 100%. like, there's only a few more years of that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really excited. Um, mm. And I think it gives a lot of validity to the rumours that they've signed on because they haven't been a fan cast. Yes. Uh, everyone else that's apparently been really close to signing on has been a fan cast six months before. Yeah. Which I'm always a little bit like, hmm. Have they just waited to say that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Whereas I've not seen anyone med- mention Pedro Pascal. No. Neither. As like someone they'd like to see play Reed Richards, which I think gives this a lot of validity because it's not just someone trying to push their own agenda. It is... I'm this so what's happening. I'm so ready for him to be so like humble on the Marvel like big group sets, and he's just like, I don't know how I'm here. He's <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm just a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be good. Um, but yeah, and that is finally it for our news this week. Yeah, there was a lot. There was so much to discuss. Now it's time for the content championship. It is. And talking of Pedro Pascal joining the MCU. <laughs> We have another yep. MCU versus Star Wars battle this week in Moon Knight versus The Phantom Menace. Mm. As always, we have six categories to help us nail down a winner. Yes. We have personal relevance, how well it has aged, mm-hmm. the rewatchability, the story, the acting, and then the cinematography slash general visuals. Yes. Would you like to get us started? Well, Moon Knight... I thought you were just going to go, no. (laughs) (laughs) Moon Knight is still very new. I mean, it was a a new character to me and was one of the earlier-ish MCU shows. It's not... It's part of the podcast. It was one of the shows that we've covered very cool it's been in the growth like the growth of the mcu over the past couple of years but then you got phantom menace and phantom menace is my generation's set of star wars films you're gonna call me old stop i can just see it on your face i, I, I didn't say a word <laughs> i can see it on your face word. you're about to say the original trilogy is mine but screw that i wish um but i mean we've said it a few times we like we enjoy these those prequels they're not bad films i remember the first episode one and watching it i remember falling over with pod racing like, there's a lot of personal relevance there for me like I, I falling in love with racing. falling in love with star wars i mean jewel of the fates man need i say more that was every kid ever so yeah, I mean, Phantom Menace is just like has such a integral part of my love for Star Wars. What about you? Yeah, hundred um, percent. With Moon Knight, it was a character I was aware of mm. and knew practically nothing about. Mm. Um, so it was nice to like, for the first time in a while, have a Marvel character that I was like, I get to experience this, and like, mm-hmm. I don't have to. Because like, I feel like everyone knows, or like, especially someone like us, we know a fair bit about Spider-Man. So when they change big parts, yeah, we're aware of it. Yeah, like how we always say, like, Raimi making Spider-Man have organic webs wouldn't fly now 
because everyone would be like, it's a Neville Gamnick wig in the comics. Um, yeah. I didn't have any of that preconception going there. I was just like, show me something. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the prequels are my trilogy that I grew up with. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was great. It was it, it was very much like the proof of every trilogy has its own generation. Yeah. And the generation before hates the next generation's trilogy. Yeah. And then eventually they grow up and they realize ah, it wasn't that bad. It just mm-hmm. wasn't what I grew up with, so I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's been nice recently to see actors who didn't get enough love during it, like Hayden Christensen, mm-hmm. get a chance to come back and now be able to feel that love. Yes. Um so I think like it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars that I grew up with. It's my Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so of course it's always gonna have a very special part in my nerdy old heart. Um how well it's aged. Mm. I feel like Phantom Menace has aged well. I think as people have got older and more Star Wars stuff has come out, people have come to go, okay, the prequels weren't that bad. Like they had their quirks, but like you say, characters that like Anakin, they were played by Hayden Christian, have got their chance now. They've aged better. People enjoy that character more. We got things like the Jewel of the Fates and Darth Maul, and people love those characters in those moments. So I think overall it's aged quite well. Moon Knight, I think, is still kind of too soon. I think looking back on it, it's of the MCU shows, it's aged well. But then you could also say now after Loki, they could have done better. <laughs> like now we know what they can do. It's like, well, could it have been done better? I still think it's still very new though to call on Moon Knight. Um so it's interesting. I've always been very clear that I'm a very reactionary person. And mm. I always need like six months before I can really trust my opinion on something. Mm. We've had about 18 for Moon Knight now. Yeah. Um, I do still think overall it's too early to tell how well it's aged. But the longer I sit with it, the more the finale winds me up with how rushed it was. Yeah. And I know it is not just one episode for me to par the whole thing with. But when you're telling a story... Mm and the ending of the story isn't good enough, it tars the whole story. Just like yeah. the reason everyone's like, oh, Game of Thrones was so great and the last season ruined it. Yes. And people's, and and now if you mention Game of Thrones to someone, they don't go, oh, I love the first seven seasons. They go, oh, the eighth season was so bad. Um, it's just the way the yeah. human brain is wired, it fixates mm-hmm. on the little bits it wasn't happy with, yeah. which is why we're all deeply unhappy people. Um. <laughs> And while I agree, for the most part, Moon Knight is too early to tell, the more I sit with it, the less happy I am with that ending. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas Phantom Menace is only aged better because it was so hated the second it came out. And it's only got more love over time. Like, there's no other way to look at it. Objectively, Mm -hmm. it has aged well. Because it's gone from being the worst Star Wars film to everyone's like, that's my fucking goat. Mm-hmm. That's my goat. I mean, when the original, when the sorry, when the prequel came out, they said it was the worst ever Star Wars film. 
People hated it for no reason just because it was the first Star Wars film after the original trilogy. It took them 10 years to realise Attack of the Clones was far worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was wild. It's wild that people um, hated it so much. Yeah, 100%. It just, there always has to be a first film after the one that everyone loved. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the hate for it was because of that. Oh. Um, Attack of the Clones is arse, um, rewatchability. I think I'd actually rather sit down and watch Phantom Menace because I, I know say, I, I would. Like Shadow of a Doubt, I would. Yeah, because I know for a fact, although I'm going to then want to watch the rest of Star Wars, at least I'm not going to get to the end of the film and be annoyed about it ended. Whereas Moon Knight, I'm going to end up reliving that annoyance and remind myself, especially after we've just had Loki, and I'm just going to sit there and be like, it could have been so good. Moon Knight has got basically zero rewatchability for me right now. Although that yeah. isn't saying a lot, I don't rewatch stuff. <laughs> this is true. I, however, have not rewatched The Phantom Menace in a long time, and I've certainly not rewatched it since I watched all the Clone Wars. Yeah, and knowing know all of the stories of the Clone Wars mm. and like where Darth Maul goes through there. Mm hmm. Instead of it being like, oh my god, the awesome dude's been cut in half, mm -hmm. it'd be like, he's going to go get his metal legs. And he's yes. going to be a menace to the... And it's, it's just, I feel like Clone Wars did so much to add context, even though it, this all happens before Clone Wars. In my brain, like I'll be remembering where all of these like paths that are set go to. Um, yeah, no, you're right, I, I would sit there and go, do I want to suffer Attack of the Clones right now? I could do it. And then be like, uh, Attack of the Clones is shit. I'll just go to Revenge of the Sith. I'll just watch the entire uh, animated Clone Wars. <laughs> well, when was it? About oh. maybe two or three months ago? Oh, it might have been May the 4th, actually. When was May the 4th? Don't say May the 4th. Remember what day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> May the 4th was a Thursday. Mm. So it might have been the Friday. No, it was the Friday. Because Friday is obviously known as Revenge of the 5th. Yeah. I sat here, did the editing for the podcast, for the shorts, and then played video games and watched Revenge of the Sith on my second monitor. I had a couple of bevs, and it was great. Nerd. And I was like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> my brother in Christ, we're on 91 episodes of the podcast. <laughs> you better fucking hope I'm a nerd, otherwise we're chalked. Um, uh. So yeah, like... <laughs> I am more likely to yeah. go back and watch an old prequels film than a yeah. Disney Plus show, just like based on raw stats. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, no, like Star Wars is infinitely more rewatchable, um, especially sure. the ones sure. at the beginning of each trilogy. Because start the story. Yeah, you don't feel like you're yeah. missing anything at the beginning. Yeah. Um, story. Blah, 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 blah. It's kind of tough because it's like. Moon Knight felt like it had a good story going. But that rush at the end ruined it. On meth, like, definitely weakened the story. I wouldn't say ruined it. Whereas Phantom Menace is like, it's kind of a basic. It, it's, it's nothing special. Yeah. And it's definitely, we, we acknowledge that the prequels aren't amazing story. Yeah. But, Do you know what it is? It feels like two projects fighting for last place in this category. Yeah. 
Because I'm there like, oh, Moon Knight's ending was really bad. Mm. And then you look on the other side and it's like, yeah, but Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, but I could... And, uh, and it just feels like you could, no matter like, this is one of the ones where we have to be really careful that how well it has aged doesn't mm. play into the story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because I do objectively think the story Moon Knight was trying to tell was better. It was the execution that was the problem. Yeah, and see, Whereas I could... I think the story for Souls was worse, but the execution was better. Yeah, see, I like I could overlook Jar Jar Binks as a character more than I can overlook the mess of that ending of Moon Knight. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It definitely feels like a category where they're fighting for loss. Yeah. Um, acting, however, I mean, I think Moon Knight kind of wins. Yeah, that him playing those split personalities. That the split personalities was phenomenal especially with how fluid it was yeah ethan hawk and maya calamoy as um supporting actors mm. were so so good yeah they really um, were and i think for a marvel story mm. they elevated the story and yeah. made it seem higher quality than it probably was mm-hmm and they would have gotten away with it if not for that rushed ending. <laughs> not for those meddling kids. Whereas, Whereas yeah, Star Wars, it was it was two thousands nerd acting. Yeah, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It, that's just what it was. It, yeah, like the the actors themselves and the actresses, great. And yes, we've grown to love some of them a lot more over the years. But as you say, it's two thousand one. Like it's. The story is basic. They don't necessarily elevate it. George Lucas is a mastermind. Mm. However, he does not write the best scripts on planet Earth. No. He, he does amazing he world building. Dialogue. Yes. Amazing world building. Amazing yeah. shot setup and all that. Dialogue not as strong as so. yeah. He, he is a practical effect genius, and I'll fight anyone on that. Mm. But, yeah, the dialogue just ain't his forte. Which... And I think and I think that really shone through in the prequels. It does, but shiny light sword fight. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing. The rest <laughs> of Star Wars is so great that do we really care about yeah. the dialogue? No, we're hardly even listening to the dialogue. We we're just listening to Jula, Yeah, we're listening to Jula the Fates, like, yeah. Yeah. And for every bit of energy mm. George Lucas saved on writing good dialogue, he put into everything. All, all of that energy went into making sure the practical effects were great, mm -hmm. making mm -hmm. sure the music was a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Like, it was great. I love it. Every yeah. single bit. Cinematography. Um, I've not mentioned it up until now because this is the comment I wrote. Okay. Jewel of the Fates is cinema era dig. Yes. It is. It is. That that whole I, sequence. I, I am under no illusion that I could never be a director. I don't think I have the skills for it. Mm. But I think, given the right people who know their stuff, I might be able to help in making a production. I don't think I could be a George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. I know that sounds crazy because obviously most people can't, but oh, yeah. I'm not one of these people who enjoys films who think they could do it. Yeah. I would give anything 
to be able to create something as impactful as the Jewel of Fate. Mm. And I would love for someone to do a study on how many filmmakers that scene inspired to get into films. Yeah, that's true. Because while I will sit here and I will accept that people don't want to accept superhero stuff and Star mm-hmm. Wars as mm-hmm. art, they want to look down on it. Yep. Jewel of the Fates is pure art. There is nothing to it. Other yeah, than I mean, it's the most iconic thing. Re- like, really, it's the one thing that has even from the get-go, was accepted as amazing about the prequels and wasn't hated. So that says a lot. Exactly that. Um, Moon Knight's great. I would say say overall, the cinematography in The Phantom Menace is a little bit weaker. But that's because they decided to make Tatooine just the most beige-boring planet on planet Earth. Um, It's because it is. (laughs) (laughs) But there are some bits in there that are mm. just phenomenal special yeah um but i would say moon knight is drop dead gorgeous it is they they did some very very good work with moon knight um and and they did some very clever cinematography with the split personality and stuff 100 percent. i would love for them to not think that Moon Knight didn't do that well because of the cinematography. I want them to go visually; it was perfect. We just mm. fucked up on the story bit here. Yeah. Tidy that up, and we are good to rock and roll. Yeah, because Moon Knight was really nice, and there was a number of times while watching it, we would come to do this on Thursday, and we were like, "That was pretty." Mm. Yeah, that looked no, really good. we we did. Um, but it has come to that horrible time of the episode where we have to go through and pick talk one. It up. We do. Um. Personal relevance, Star Wars. Yeah. I think that's pretty unanimous. Yeah. How well it's aged, Star Wars. Star Wars, Wars. yeah. Rewatchability, Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Story. I can't say either of these deserve to win story. No. I would lean Star Wars because, although it's weak, it did make... fuck up. Yeah, it doesn't fuck up. Whereas, like... (laughs) If you like a bad ending ruins a story, then it like 100%. it can't win for story. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I'd be inclined to go draw or win for Star Wars there, one hundred percent. Um, acting I think has to be Moon Knight. Yeah, I would agree with Moon Knight. And while I do think overall cinematography is probably better in Moon Knight, all of the faces is too good. <laughs> yeah, that, that Trump Trump Just, card. Like exactly. <laughs> like. Jewel of the Fence. Come on now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is a win for The Phantom Menace. Um, and it's crazy because if Moon Knight didn't suck ass right at the very end, it probably could win that. Could, yeah, they could have um, done. Because it would have saved itself in the How Well Is It Aged category. And probably would have got a draw out of the rewatchability car- uh, category. Mm. Would have absolutely won the um, story. story category. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden we've got a much more difficult decision. It's a good job we've not got Loki in this bracket. Yeah. Um, but that is the end of round two of the bracket. Mm. It, we are oh. now into the quarterfinals. How many are Star Wars? In the quarterfinals, there is a Star Wars project in every single quarterfinal. I'm just going to rebrand us to the Star Wars podcast. And in <laughs> one of the quarterfinals, there is two Star Wars projects. Let's go. The quarterfinals are as follows. Clone yep. Wars 
versus okay. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I think we know how that's going. Um, then we have Andor versus Return of the Jedi. That's a painful one. Then That's we difficult. have Rogue One versus Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the oh. Rings. <laughs> Why is this? This is going to be brutal. And then we have Captain America Winter Soldier oh. versus The Phantom Menace. Okay. Mm. Yeah, these these are these are brutal. We're into the end game now, folks. We are. We are. Um, it's going to be interesting. It will indeed. Um, but that'll be it from us this week. Yeah, it's been a hefty episode. It has. Um, if you have got this far, you should 100% make sure you've liked, subscribed, and rung the bell. Because if you're going to see even here leave us comments. Across... Yes. Yes. Tell us what of that hefty news segment you're most excited for. Do you think we're wrong? Do you think Madam Web is going to be a modern masterpiece? Are, are you, you are you excited comic? for Daddy Pedro? Yes, exactly. Um, make sure you've rung the bell so you find your way back here nice mm -hmm. and easily. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.